2: Connecting to the big show. In three, three, two.
3: three. One.
2: That's the job of the government, is it not? But it's us that still go out, walk for lives away, pay for all detectives, pay for absolutely everything. I've not seen any
3: guards. I've seen more parking enforcement officers than I've seen guards. I'm not gonna change. I'm not gonna not be myself, and there's nobody gonna take that from me. Join the conversation! Call 0818-969696. 96 96 96. Extra
2: WhatsApp 0833969696. 96 96.
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: This is the opinion in with PJ 96
4: FM Morning another glorious morning and at least another six or seven of them to come ahead of us I can't remember in recent years when we looked into a June weekend with the kind of wonderful certainty that is not given to us very often in this country weather wise knowing that you can take out the barbecue and knowing that you can buy a bit of charcoal and knowing that you can invite mates over on Saturday or Sunday and that'll be fine. It's lovely to see, really lovely to see. Uh, good morning to you, lots to do today, lots to do. We had a bit of follow-up on the Balancholic story yesterday, a couple of emails and some photographs taken and sent to us of this proposed Greenway, this proposed cycle route through a housing estate. The people of that housing estate were up in arms yesterday and I know that people who were promoting cycling and promoting active travel and would be all for greenways when you look at the picture of where they want to put this one you might think again although the missus was saying to me last night we were just chatting about it and she said do you know what, every time you come up with a greenway someone goes hang on! And this is another case of that. But certainly, that particular estate in Ballincollig, one would have to be take not to see that they've got a case there um, to oppose the particular route of it. And we had some response to that. We also had some more response to assisted dying, and we take it to a further chapter today, I'm going to speak for the first time ever, I've never spoken to anyone like this before, I didn't even know such a person exists someone called a death doula, do you know what that is? No, I don't know either, we'll find out later a death doula the two may tie in, they may not but I want to begin, also another reason why uh, um, giving blood the, the blood transfusion people have come out in the last few days on the news and in the papers and wherever it always happens this time of year, always seems to happen around the June weekend. They're running low on key stocks of blood. And having heard that on the news, Fabiano went to see, could he give blood? And he was told no. And the reason is a very interesting one. I'll get to that in a while. But first, to the case of a 56-year-old naval instructor... A man called Derek Nagel. He's from Kilmona in Grenade. Now, he has resigned at this stage from the Irish Navy. He was given probation at Cork Circuit Criminal Court after he pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting a young recruit called Shauna O'Connor. Now, this very brave young lady waived her right to anonymity. This assault happened on the 1st of March 2022 at the naval base in Holboland She was in a place called the Transit Room At the moment At at that particular time She was sitting on a recruit's bed Chatting When Derek Nagel came in and shouted at her Things took a turn And eventually she just told him to F off That's enough now And as she was fixing her uniform He winked at her and said You're lucky it wasn't 14 or 15 years ago Now, fair play to Shauna O'Connor. She wasn't taking this. She went straight to her superior officer. Military police were assigned to investigate. There were a number of other witnesses in the room. She gave a victim impact statement in the court and said, I should be happy with the outcome of this. He's gone from the Navy. But in all honesty, she said, this man has broken me. We have all been through situations in our lives that try to test us and we move on and remain strong but there's only so much one person can take. After it happened, I got up every day, put a face on, finished my training, passed my courses, moved on to a ship and have had some amazing experience but inside, I was breaking and I still am. She told of having extreme nightmares, breakdowns, having to go for counselling Which the naval service provided And she was grateful for that But she said she smiled all day Got on with her work And showed everyone she was okay But in actual fact She wasn't She's still having nightmares Now in defence of Derek Nagel His barrister Ronan Barnes Said he'd joined the navy in 1985 He'd given 37 years of service He has nothing remotely like this on his record before his position became untenable he immediately resigned he was an instructor and it wasn't appropriate for him to direct any physical training he was interviewed he answered everything asked of him initially he was not able to accept that there was an indecent element to what happened but he now does accept that entirely he instructed his barrister to apologise sincerely said it was a horrible thing to have happened. It should not have happened. He cannot give any other explanation. Mr. Barnes said the accused had offered compensation, but the injured party was not in a position to accept. He suggested she might nominate a charity to which the accused could contribute. He was given a probation order for 12 months on payment of 300 euro. The victim is uh, 27 years of age and she was not in court. But what an extraordinarily courageous young woman, Mary Crilly. Good morning.
5: And I want to say well done to her. Morning, PJ. I want to shake her her hand and
4: say well done like that too.
5: I do. And I want to say this is at the level where people need to know that they can report a crime when it's at this level where people might minimise it and might say, oh, my God, what's the deal? I think the situation was she was sitting on the bed. She kind of got up when he came in and roared at her um, and he caught her and he caught the back of her arm. He twisted it. He twisted her back. He pulled her up in a way that she was bent over. So it was an assault and then began to hit her um, on her buttocks, as they say, which is an assault. And that was a huge fright, one. That was huge trauma. I mean, like if you think about it, he's old enough to be her father. He's in his late fifties; she's in her twenties. He should be encouraging her, you know, to have a really good life in the navy, not do this. So, if there are people out there thinking maybe she's overreacting, this is exactly the way it happened, and it was a shock, and it was a fear of what could come. And to say to a young girl to wink and say it should have been fourteen or fifteen years ago, Um, and he also said. I thought you liked it rough. So he was quite sexual in his behaviour. And he just did this because he could. And I think to her, fair play to you and well done. You've done an awful lot for people in the navy, both men and women who now see they can report something. I would have liked him to get a suspended sentence and even a compensation, three hundred euro. That's not going to hurt his pocket one iota. Mm. But at least he's been called out, and I admire her for that.
4: He walked free under the probation act. We must respect the decision of the court. We might not totally. agree or disagree oh, totally. with it, totally Mary, totally but do. we must respect I totally it. But do. oh no, no, I was—I know you do. I know you do. Yeah. Uh, people will wonder why that happened. It's. Just down to the judge on the day and what's put before the judge. But in the wake of, and we discussed it only in the last few weeks, Mary, in the wake of the Women of Honor report, having a case like this come before the court where a young woman went to her superior officer, was believed and action was taken. That could be a turning point in itself.
5: Total turning point because I think people are seeing, like I said, at this level things can be reported and not only reported but they're taken seriously. And I know, you know, the girl said in court she should feel relieved and she doesn't. I'd love to kind of help her or support her in any way we can. But this man has been called out and that's just phenomenal. And people will know him and will know his behaviour and will know that they can report situations. And I just think all round, um, I congratulate the guards for bringing it forward and for her for reporting it. Yeah. I'm sorry it happened to her because I love seeing young women join the Navy or join the Army or join a career where they really want to get into it and then somebody stops them in their tracks You know, but it's a bit like um, I want to say to her come on, let's let's make sure he doesn't win from now on and let's see how we can work together or what we can do to kind of support yes. you through this you, you, because he should be You've not be met winning. her
4: Mary, you don't know her but what I think I'm hearing is uh, an offer that your door is open should she want to talk to anybody
5: Absolutely, I don't want him to win any more or to take any more of her life away. You know, because sometimes when people feel ashamed or humiliated, like he humiliated in front of a whole range of men that were in that room, and that was part of it that I'm sure might be going through her head. And, you know, I suppose I feel like he's taken enough of your life. Let's put a stop to it now if we can.
4: What is also notable from the, the court report is that the other people in the room backed her up.
5: That's it, because he saw it and it was quite crude. It was quite, you know, horrific assault. It might not have been a full rape as people think, you know, sexual violence is, but he did it. He grabbed her, he pushed her, he pulled her, and he put her in a position where he was totally in control, where she couldn't move her mm-hmm. body and then decided to assault her by hitting her um, and, you know, threatening kind of other things, which is a threat. It should have been.
4: It, it, it harps, like it harps back also thing. to something you and I have talked about, Mary, more than once, and that is the other people in the room, when something inappropriate is going on, they must not turn a blind eye. These people didn't, and they too are to be commended.
5: Totally. And even though they were right beside him, maybe it happened so quick that they couldn't pull him away, or he was the instructor, but... It, or, or they couldn't believe what was happening. I'm not sure what they did, but at least they stood up and they were counted and did come forward and say, we did see it, where very often people back off and say, I saw nothing, do you know? Yeah,
4: yeah. We hope she's well. Uh, we don't have any contact with her. We hope she's well. Your door is open to her, and should she need somebody to And everybody's to talk
5: door, to? and just so she knows, he's taken enough. You know, he shouldn't be allowed to take anymore. It's not as easy, you know, Donna said, but I mean, I do wish her, I do wish her well.
4: As do we all. Mary, thank you. Mary Quilly of the Rip Crisis Sexual Violence Centre. If you need help, uh, if you can identify with anything we've been talking about, Mary's door is always open. They have a phone number 1-800-496-496, which is open uh, 9 to 5 Monday to Friday, or indeed you can make an appointment with them, or you can text 87 one15 33393 and if Shauna O'Connor happens to be listening or anybody close to her, a friend a family member, a loved one if you are listening to me speaking now and please convey to Shauna O'Connor that I count Mary Quilly as a dear friend and not just the best in the business but a dear friend and when she says her door is open and somebody will help you. Her door is open and somebody will. 0818 96 96
6: 96. Question 10. What chess piece moves first? The pawn. So you actually got 9 out of 10.
3: Woohoo! I'm
6: and delighted. I know. Uh, and then the one that you obviously had doubts about. Uh, what chess piece moves first? The correct answer, unfortunately, is pawn. You've just won! Yeah! Two thousand, yeah! Well, you can buy your defibrillator now. <laughs> I know, I know. Now that I won the two bands, everything is great. Dad, you've made my day, and oh. my daughter.
7: We're just all over the moon. Congratulations, yeah. well done. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Yes. Stacking up the cash. Yes. Cash. Cash. two grand a minute. Listen to play at seven forty and eight forty every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. It's ninety six. And-
4: there's a story there this morning that the GAA are getting a year off in their loan for Parky Queeve. Now, there are no gigs in Parky Cueve this summer, which, let alone being disappointing for those of us who like to see a good open-air gig in the summertime, after two particularly brilliant ones last year with Elton John and Westlife, nothing this year. They're huge money spinners For the guy, they're getting an extension on the loan. John says, the GA getting an extension on the loan? They say there was no money coming in the last year for concerts. There's a simple solution. Put the event centre... Oh, don't, John, don't mention the war. Put the event centre into Parky Creeve and put a park for the people into the site at South Main Street. It's a thought. Actually, coming up in a minute, Finn has been thinking about... You might have read it and heard it and whatever. This whole commitment that the GA makes to under 12 games being non-competitive. Um, games for all or games to go or go games or something like that they call it. No competitive stuff if you're under 12. And they say that's because at that age it should just be for fun. It should be for participation it should be for developing the love of the game and the skills of the game, and they will take action against. Like for example, if you're under twelve now in GAA, they're not supposed to keep score. They're not supposed to record the score. They're not supposed to say who won. They're not supposed to say who lost. They're certainly not supposed to tweet about it in under tens game. You're not like you can't. You're not even supposed to keep score. It's it's all part of this non-competitive, let the kids discover the sport for themselves kind of thing. Finn has a take on that, which I will come to in a little while. But first of all, Fabiano, now you're, you're Brazilian originally, but you've been living here for quite some time. You were a lifelong blood donor back in your native country, but you can't donate blood here. Morning to you.
8: Good morning, PJ. Yes. Um, I've been living in Ireland for the past 15 years and I've been donating blood in Brazil, um, uh, at least four times a year because when I was young, my little sister had a, a heart disease and then she had to do a surgery and she needed blood and was hard, quite hard to get it. Yeah. So I, I got touched by that and then I, that was So just to pay back. And it became routine of my life. Once I moved to to Ireland, I went to try to do the same thing, but uh, believe it or not, my blood is not good enough here. I don't, well, I, I at first I thought it was a bit, ah, uh, I don't want to use the word, but like a bit discriminating yeah. <laughs> because I'm South American. But they tried to explain to me it, it, it could cause some shock. I, I'm not a specialist, so I don't know yeah. What's the reason? Uh, they try to explain to me the reason, but I still don't understand. There is laboratories here. There are plenty of Brazilians living here as well. That probably might need blood someday, and they could use it. You are very fit. You are very healthy. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and I want to do my beats as well. And then watching yesterday on the RT News, and I I also heard on ninety six FM that the blood banks are low. Yes. And I wanted to do my part, but I can't.
4: That always happens this time of year. We we hear ev- almost every June bank holiday weekend that they're a little bit short on blood. Do you mind my asking, Fabiano, what is your blood type?
8: O-positive.
4: O-positive. Always in demand. No one has ever been able to explain to you why they can't take so you
8: they, they explain. They say that there is a type of... Uh, 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 a disease that I could carry. I I think it's Chagas disease. I'm f- forgive me, I don't know the name in English. That's okay. Uh, for that disease.
4: It's native if you want to South America and they would be afraid that you would have it here. Is that it?
8: Yes, but I was wondering why. There is laboratories there. You can check the blood. At least try, check it. Yeah. if It's good. I'll be more than happy to be donating all the time. Like I have no issues with that. You, your
4: suggestion is well, test me for this if it comes from my part of the world then then test me for it if there's a sign of it fine if not but of course back in your native brazil you were able to give blood did they test for it there fabiano
8: no they do other tests of course for hiv hepatitis Uh, they do tests for uh, diabetes if you have your diabetes is very high or not so then if your feet once you are fit, you can carry on and do your donations. Yeah, well, they
4: test every every donation of blood here anyway, a number of ways, before they store it in the blood bank. And there were categories of people who were not allowed to, to, to give blood. I'm looking at the conditions here uh, of new donor eligibility on the Blood Transfusion Service website. The usual questions are there, you're taking medication, uh, have you had a cough or cold or any kind of an infection in the last couple of weeks? Have you had any kind of a scan, endoscopy in the last twelve months? Dental treatment recently? Tattoo or piercing recently? Acupuncture? Were you born outside of Ireland or the UK? Well, yes, you were. Have you been outside of Ireland on holidays or on business in the last twelve months? Yeah. Um, let me do another search for you here because I this is I, I find this confusing. That is on the
8: Irish blood transfusion service. I think it's, I don't know the pronunciation. It's C-H-A-G-A-S, it's Chagas disease. Mm-hmm. And I believe it's because of this Chagas disease, or Chagas, or, forgive me the pronunciation. It's one of the reasons they say that we could not be a donor. You cannot give bloods if you or your mother was born in Chagas risk area.
4: Yeah, I'm looking at here now, common reasons why you might not be able to donate and there's, there's a list
8: just doesn't make sense in my head
4: I have it here now, I've just had a search there while we're chatting here on my screen a thing called Chagas disease, you've mentioned it If you or your mother was born in a Chagas risk area South America, Central America and Southern Mexico that seems to be it
8: It's a little insect that bites you
4: it's, it says here you cannot give blood if you ever had Chagas disease, even if you have fully recovered. So that there's your explanation they're giving it to you. But like you said, you feel you're you're fit and healthy now. You've never had Chagas disease.
8: Yeah, I never had it.
4: <laughs> it's unfortunate, Fabiano, seeing as you would like to. And you, your belief is that in in a modern world with modern science, there should be a test there. And look, if you've ever been in contact with Chagas, fine but you haven't, you've never had it, your mother has never had it.
8: And yes, and that's the main reason I, I, reach, out, I reach out to you because it's a modern world. We have, the science is advancing very quick. Um, there is no laboratory test that could tell, hey Fabiano, thank you, but no, or thank you, you can carry on and donate and help other people That's because that's what I wanted to do, to help people the same way they helped my sister.
7: Fabiano,
4: thank you for calling.
8: Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's there on the screen
4: in front of me. Chagas, it's it's a disease, as he said, caused by a little insect. And South America, Brazil, it's part of the world where there is this chagas thing. And if he or his mother ever had it, he never had it. He tells me his mother never had it. But because you come from that area, it, it blocks you from donating in our system. His argument... I, can't see, I can see his logic. His argument is there must be some way to test for it, to test whether he has ever been infected with it, um, and then give his blood. He wants blood. They're short to blood. They're telling us on the radio, on the news, they're short to blood. And yet, young, fit, healthy man turns up and won't take his blood because he might have something from a country he hasn't been in for 15 years so they could truly test it you would think
3: The Cork Diary on
4: Cork's 96FM
9: The Cork Diary is a free service so if you're a community group a not-for-profit organisation or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it email the details to Cork Diary at
3: 96FM.ie Join the conversation email opinion at 96FM.ie
2: This is the Opinion Line with PJ
3: a few weeks
4: back I spoke to Michelle Ford She is the mom of Leah Ford Leah is 10 and hasn't been able to go to school at St. Paul's since last September The reason for this is she has a very rare disorder and severe developmental issues But the most important thing is when she's fed at school she has to be fed by a nurse Even though others could do it, it would be quite easy for them to do it. It must be a nurse. Those are the rules and regulations. And there just wasn't funding there for a nurse to do it. And Michelle spoke to me and she spoke to other media. There was an article in The Echo in the last few days detailing where she'd been pushed around from this department to that department to the other department. Everyone's saying, oh, it's not my job and it's not his job and it's not our job to, to sort it out. Word broke last evening, I got contacted by a great pal of mine and a great pal of the show, uh, Disability Advocate Supreme Kieran Delaney, texted me last evening and said there was some chance of a breakthrough. It did come, uh, the breakthrough did come, and we understand that there will now be a nurse provided so that Leah can return to St. Paul's in September. Michelle, what what, what fantastic news. Good morning again.
10: Hi PJ, how are you? Um, yeah, it's great news that we got yesterday, but I'm still not jumping up and down to be honest with you because I haven't received the confirmation in black and white that it, it is actually going to be sanctioned. Right. You know,
4: the minister uh, responsible said that the funding will be put in place, didn't she?
10: Well, no, she said, Minister Rabbit's office said that um, they were informed that nursing support will be in place for Leah and other children in September. So what what, what transpired was um, the COPE Foundation, because they were driven to it, they had no other choice, because Leah was missing so much school, um, uh, decided that they would try and hire an, another nurse themselves right? right? for COPE for to get Leah back to school. But the problem with that is, is that that money is coming from a charity, you know, and they don't have to, they shouldn't have to pay for the, for a nurse. If, if should, they pay by, for the nurse the out of
4: their resources, something else yeah. suffers.
10: Something else suffers, yeah, and they have extensions going on and they have lots of other bits going see. on up there. And, um, like, how long would that, um, would they be able to support a nurse? You know what I'm saying?
4: I see. Like, so, so just, like, you know, just to clarify, you're on here, we, so, so we understand yeah. that the minister said that nursing support would be provided... In but place, yeah. but and we don't said, Yeah, we yeah. don't know from where and we don't know who's paying for it.
10: Exactly. Yeah. Like she said, um she she was advised that there was a nursing position in place or something like that. But um that's because Sean Abbott from Cope Foundation um told them that. So how could they get a nurse in place overnight themselves? You know what I'm saying?
0: Yes. So yes.
10: I'm 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 still a bit iffy about where um the money's coming from. And if the money is coming from um the HSC or the Department of Disability um and children and youth, great. And if it's gonna be a permanent position, great. Um I need to know all those facts before I can celebrate. Do I you know?
4: understand. I understand because if um, it's just a thing that cope are to find a nurse out of their own resources and brilliant for them if they can do it. But they shouldn't have to. COPE already have a stretch on their resources. If they have to find a nurse for Leah and Mm. anybody else out of those resources, then something else will suffer. So the funding, for it must be extra funding for the nurse. Yeah, it must be
10: extra funding. And we... I'd like it confirmed as well if it's going to be a permanent position and not just, say, for a year or so on because um, we don't want to be doing this. Myself and the school don't want to be doing this all the time. Yes, yes. Um, Because the school said, I think at the
4: time, sorry, when we spoke, Michelle, that the school were also online with me here on the show and the principal said, there's actually plenty of work for a nurse, not just working with just Leah. Leah yeah.
10: There's plenty
4: yeah. of work for a nurse in the school.
10: But yeah there was one nurse um, employed to support two special classes in St Paul's and now there's eight and it's still only one nurse. So this nurse isn't just for Leah, it's for all the children in St Paul's that needs the help, you know. Yes. And and what and it's for all the children that will be coming into St Paul's that need the support you know, you could have other kids that would be told they can't go to school because the nurse doesn't have the time to, to support them. I understand. It's not just for Leah.
4: Now, mm. now, now I get where you're coming yeah. from. So Anne Rabbit came through last evening and said nursing support will be supplied and, and that's fine in, in itself. Case.
5: yeah.
4: But it's mm-hmm. very important to know where is that coming from and who's paying for it because there's no point in Leah having her nurse if someone else is going to lose something, Correct.
10: Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I wouldn't say that someone else would loo- lose out if Leah went back. I'm saying for if this second nurse is employed, that, you know, if it wasn't, if the second nurse wasn't employed, sorry, it would mean that other children like Leah would be told they can't go to school that's as well. That's what
4: I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah,
10: yeah. 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 That's
4: what I mean. Because you're thinking of all the others so, as well. So
10: it could be, it could be a good day. Like we could hear later on, um, you know the funding is not being supplied by Cope. It's been um, given through the HSE.
4: Yeah, it would, and, it and would be put into what's called. Mm. All these places have what they call a service level agreement, and yeah. it would be these funds would go into the service level agreement. That's what needs to happen, correct?
10: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and today my fortieth birthday, so it I was be just a about to get to that. You have a round, you
4: have a roundy birthday today.
10: <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, today's the 40th birthday so it would be a, a, a great birthday present to get get the icing on the cake I suppose be if one to it. it came true that after all this fighting we finally get what we wanted but finally get what we should have had like 7 months ago you know? I know,
4: there's a lovely photograph in the paper this morning of yourself and, and Leah are you is she able to understand you when you tell her about this
10: well do you know what I when I was getting her up this morning I said to well, Leah you're in the paper again this morning and um you know you might be going back to school in September and she was smiling beaming fantastic um, and I said you'll be getting on the bus with all your friends and she was beaming yeah she, she does understand what I what I'm saying
4: brilliant she has, she has a smile yeah. like a little spring sunrise oh it she? lights
10: up the room I swear yeah it lights up the room when when we see her smiling that's all we want that, that's you, what makes us you, happy Michelle, we don't did. need anything else
4: she didn't lick that smile off the stones ye are the image of one another anyone ever tell you that
10: huh? yeah they did actually Yeah, <laughs> she's the image of me thank god because mm-hmm. my other two don't look like me
0: at all my other two
4: <laughs> how are yeah. they how how are they dealing with all of this you know it's, it's a disability like Leah has you know the whole house is affected by it how are your others doing
10: yeah well, Olivia, I suppose um, would always question why we she had a sister like Leah, um, and she would have been exposed to Leah being sick an awful lot, um, and you know she's grown up very fast and she's able to cope with things that probably kids her age wouldn't be able to cope with. Um, but she she. We went to a birthday party there not so long ago of another little girl, Sky, and she was 12. And there was lots of kids with special needs and wheelchairs at at that party. And it finally um, kind of showed to Olivia that, you know, there's other families like us and they're happy. So we're happy, you know, Uh, but she loves Leah like she's always painting her nails and. Um, kissing her on the cheek and trying to get her to do high fives yeah. but then she won't sleep in the same room as her um, we've only a two bedroom house because we're trying to build an extension and um, the cost of things have gone through the roof know, and Leah's yeah. still upstairs in, in her bedroom upstairs and um, we have to carry her downstairs every morning but look we'll get to that um, that's my next job now <laughs> but um, Olivia won't share the room with um, Leah because Leah's bed makes too much noise and she's afraid if Leah gets sick in the middle of the night that she'll need to be suctioned and that's very traumatic. So anytime Olivia hears the suction machine, she covers her ears and leaves the room.
4: Yeah. No, so it's hard to blame. Hard to blame
10: her. No, it's hard to blame her, but she's she's um she, she you know she loves Leah. She knows she's different and she's kind of accepting her for the way she is. Yeah. is what I'd say. That, that,
4: yeah. that, that takes a And now she's a got a time.
10: new baby, she's got the new baby brother now who um she's wondering when he's going to start walking, you know. How old is, how old is baby <laughs> And he's brother? only one month.
4: One month. month old. <laughs> <laughs> You've had enough yeah. to do then the last month or so. Oh, tell
10: me about
4: it, yeah. <laughs> Have you but, slept um, in a wink oh, at all?
10: Last night I, I didn't get much sleep at all, to be honest with you. It was the worst night yet. He, um, he drank... Um, about 500 mils, which is, which is almost his daily allowance in overnight. So I can't keep up with him, to be <laughs> honest with you. But he's a, he's a great baby. He's placid. Um, he you wouldn't even know he's there half the time, and he's um all he does sure is sleep and eat. That's about it. Yeah. But he's 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 great baby. Like he.
3: What's
4: his name? You
10: know, David. David. Okay.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to just come back to the, the the story at hand. I'm just reading into yeah. it here. Anne Hartnett, who was on with me the first time you were on, uh, the principal up at, at St. Paul's, sh- she's backing up exactly what you say. If COPE is funding this position, how long can they keep it up for? And she also hasn't had any confirmation that the HSE will pay Mm. for the nurse. Also, she wants a time frame because she doesn't want it to be temporary because of all the publicity. She needs this to be a permanent appointment. So, in other words, let's not have a politician saying, oh, we'll sort that out for you, and then we see the small print that says, actually, it's not really sorted out at all. Yeah, that's it,
0: yeah.
10: But hopefully it um, it will... sort out, be sorted today and we'll get what we're looking for and okay. everything right. will be okay going forward. Yeah.
4: Will you have time for I'm a hopeful. little
10: birthday I'm hopeful celebration? I don't know. I think we're having a barbecue this evening. That'll be nice. Good. Um, my grandmother's coming up. She's 90. She's coming up. So um, The weather looks good, good. and Hopefully, we'll have a an old
4: bottle of prosecco or something. Ah, A few few bubbles might (laughs) be had. Bubbles and burgers. A few bubbles, yeah. Bubbles and burgers. Be nice. Be nice, Michelle. Have a happy birthday, and I really hope that the news works out to make it even happier again. That's uh, Michelle Ford, mum of Leah Ford. So the nurse and Rabbit, the minister, has said the nurse will be there, but we don't know who's funding the nurse. Is it Cope? Is it the HSE? Is it coming out of existing resources? And I know enough from personal experience that these details are important. That's all I'll say to you now. Trust me if you don't know what I'm getting at. But these details are important. Thanks, Michelle. Oh, eight one I'd like to have your thoughts on this. I'll talk to Finn after the news. But uh, this is dinging around for the last few days. The GA and under 12 players, players under the age of 12, Their matches are not supposed to be competitive at all. No choice in the matter. A bunch of 12-year-olds lining out on a Saturday morning for a game of hurling a football or camogie. It is not meant to be competitive. And there are sanctions possible against a club who makes it competitive. I don't know how you feel about that. Some people say, well, you go way out of that. That is utterly daft. I'd like to discuss it and we will do it after the news. But just <laughs> other stuff. Um, you'll have heard this if you follow Showbiz News. Al Pacino is the latest member of the old dad club. Robert De Niro recently became a dad at God knows what age. But Al Pacino is now set to have a baby with his 29-year-old girlfriend. She's eight months pregnant. They've been romantically linked since April 2022. He already has three children with two other women. He has twins, Olivia and Anton, uh, and, yeah, yeah, he's three children, two women. So he has twins and a 33-year-old son, no, 33-year-old daughter, and 22-year-old twins. Robert De Niro was 79. They thought no one would go higher than that. Al Pacino is 83. Now, you could say fair play to him that things are still in sufficient working order that he'd be able to father a child at the age of 83. But in all seriousness, he's 54 years older than his partner. Like, really? I know these fellas live to be colossal ages. I mean, look at Clint Eastwood. Is he 107 or something at the moment? But these fellas live to be very... But like, he's going to become a dad at 83. Like, by the time he's 10, the, by the time the child is 10, he would be 93. might not be with us. Certainly won't be with us for the child's 21st, one thinks, although Clint is 93. 93. 93. Is it too old? A lot of people are saying it's, it's too old to be a dad. It's too old to become the father of a child. Now, look, um, his his partner, Alfala, who, by the way, is a previous girlfriend of uh, Mick Jagger, um, she won't want for anything, And the child won't want for Like, I mean, there's, there's a bit of money in that house. The, ch- the child will not require anything. But the child would require a daddy. And... An 83-year-old daddy is a bit old, one would have thought. 54 years old between... 54 years between mommy and daddy's ages. And then the child comes along in about a month or so. And no doubt there'll be a big press release about that. But, and it's the second one in a couple of weeks. Robert De Niro at the age of 70 Just throw it out there for what it's worth. Is it too old to become a dad at 83 or 79? Is it unfair on the child? Is it unfair on the partner? No, clearly the partner was a willing partner in this and they're delighted and wish them well and hope everything works out great for them. And like I said, the child won't want for a few quid. But is it right? I'm not going to tell you my age. A lot of people know it. But there's absolutely no way I would become a dad at my age like, when I became a dad it was in my thirties and I was overwhelmed. Sometimes I'm still overwhelmed, but when I became a dad I was overwhelmed, like. It's, it's big. Now yeah, they'll have nannies and nurses and they'll barely have to wipe the child's backside if they don't want to. But taking on a new baby at the age of 83, Mr. De Niro, are, Mr. Pacino, are you mad? Oh wait! And is it fair on the child? Is it fair on a, to bring a child into the world when mom is twenty-nine and daddy is eighty-three? Is it fair on the child?
7: You made me feel
4: the Corks ninety-six FM Giving for Living
2: Radiothon, raising money for Cork Cancer Services.
3: Your donations will make a massive difference.
7: I'm now delighted to announce that the total raised in the 2023 Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is €429,597. What an absolutely
2: breathtaking result. Thank you.
3: A huge thank you to everyone who supported the Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon. You feel
2: Only on Corks 96 FM <laughs> The minds are
3: live oh, hello. Join the conversation Call 0818 96 96 96 Text or WhatsApp
2: 083 396 96
3: 96 Email opinion at 96 FM
4: This is the Opinion
2: Line with PJ Coogan Corks
3: 96 FM
4: Dermud says there's no problem with the rich having children at an older age because with current technology, they're expected to live to be 120. That doesn't apply to us poorer mortals, though. Look at Henry Kissinger. People were writing his obituary at 90, and now he's coming up to the ton. And look at the age of the royal family and the aristocracy. You'd almost wonder, and, and you hear this, if they agree to stop using their meds and technology at a certain age, They all seem to die at or near a roundy number. Yeah, I see the point you're making, dear me. The rich are different. If you've got all the money and access to all the technology and the doctors and the specialists that you're ever going to need, well, the chances of you living to or close to or past 100, I mean, Dent Eastwood, 93. Al Pacino, 79. Or Robert De Niro 79 rather Al Pacino 83 they're all they're all ancient but they're all fit and healthy too that i mean have you seen Clint Eastwood he's a bit frail as he would be at 93 but he's still he's he's fitter than me put it that way 96 is the number the text or whatsapp is 96 and the email Opinion at 96 ie. So, you talk about fitness and you talk about exercise and all those things. This isn't going on for the last week or so, the discussion about this. No, I'm told it's been there since forever that children under 12 are not supposed to be competitive in the GAA. And their games are supposed to be purely for enjoyment of the sport, purely to learn how to hurl, to learn how to play football, to enjoy Sport and enjoy being part of a team and it's not meant to be competitive but now the GA has said it's going to crack down on it it's going to crack down on the scheme and there will be penalties on anyone hosting a competitive game for players under the age of 12 this even means if I'm reading it correctly that after training on Saturday morning that a team of under 12s want to have a 20 minute aside hurling match they they're not supposed to keep the score. They're not supposed to say who won and who lost. They're not supposed to compete. And then how do you deal with blitzes and all this? That alone is confusing, how you work with blitzes and underage competitions and when does something become competitive and and something not. But Finn, you put an email together to opinion at 96fm.ie. You said that GA are off their chuck to enforce this because where are we going to find... The next DJ Carey or the next Brian Corcoran or, or, or God knows, the next Pat Horgan. Morning.
6: Absolutely. Um, I think it's uh, in their statement last week, PJ, good morning. Um, they were saying that they want to develop the love of the game more than the competitive side of the game. You made a very good comment when you came on the air on your yeah, first thing Monday morning that the, the Gaelic grounds in Limerick um, was a cauldron of atmosphere. Um, and these guys that didn't go there because they didn't like the game, they went because they loved the game. And you could count the 15, that, the 17, 18 players that played with Cork, they've all played competitive hurling since they were walking. Yeah. And um, Because you don't make it to the top unless you're competitive. And for the under-12s, you pick up the echo yesterday, there was bits and pieces about the Cork hurling team, blah, 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 blah. blah. But then there was Skiing the Skull. That's going to be abandoned. Is the it? biggest carnival of schools, well, it would be, wouldn't it? Because it's under-13, under-12. It's the, the age groups and that's competitive.
4: I haven't seen anything that says it would be. Well, yet. it would be because
6: it's GA. It, come, it comes under the GA. How are they going to go score? Who are they going to present a cup to? Who are they going to present medals to? And you know yourself. You, you've done it. Skiing a Skull is a huge carnival of GA and what it is and the love of the game. And it brings the parents out. And what's going to happen is the kids are going to go into the sport, learn how to hurl, learn how to play Gaelic football, break their backs for the year with training. The coaches are going to get involved. There's nothing at the end of the year. And what are you going to see? You're going to see, and I'm sports all across the board, yeah. you're going to see soccer clubs getting more affiliation. You're going to see the rugby clubs getting more affiliation. Yet our national sport is putting it into the doldrums and going back 100 years. The street leagues out in the bars, the street leagues out in Nemo, the street leagues out in Douglas, they all bring hundreds of people together in the in the name of sport. But there's a competitive nature because everybody wants to win.
2: But you know what all, I'm saying? And yeah. a few
6: 50... Also if you 15 guys on a team, go on. Go on. Sorry, PJ. No, finish your point. You no. 15 guys on a team, and they, they there is there is eight very good players. All they're going to do in a competitive nature is bring along the guys who are learning. I saw X do this. I'm going to try it. I'm going to practice this. Where's it going? They'll have a sponge ball next if they're going to take the competitive and the goal games. Now, goal games are very good for training nice. and they're very good for practice right across the board at any level at any level but there needs to be a a result a a reward at the end of a hard it's not easy for parents it's not easy for coaches it's not easy for kids to get out training the GA is charging them money to join money for the gear money for the helmets money for everything else and yet there's nothing at the end and I think that will I personally that's my opinion will deter younger people from saying why would I do this three days a week when they get to 14, 15 they're obviously going to just say well you know why am I doing this there's another Where is side you with the
4: pin. there's another another element to that and that is and I remember I bailed out of sport when I was very young because I was crap at it I was as blind as a bat and if I put two, one foot in front of the other I was likely to trip now I'd still get encouraged in a in a system like this I'd still yeah, look do what you can do but
6: Absolutely. Kids, will, kids will fall
4: away from sport and rather than getting involved, they will fall away because they're not very good. And they will see the elite Jomfeller being nurtured by the club and nurtured by the coach and, and the and the lad who will never be any good but, but loves to play will just pack it
6: in. Right. So why not change change from going from the competitive nature to a nature that right, you've got an A and a B team. Your goal for six months to the coaches in the club and there's enough coaches there there's enough guys that would give their right arm to coach kids every weekend is to bring that child up and put him in in the situation where he's part of the, the A team PJ go to the mixed ability rugby that was in Musgrave Park last year you had rugby players that had played very high standard playing with guys with disabilities. Yes, you're There wasn't correct. a problem there. Yes, you're correct. There wasn't a problem there. And my, my, my point on it being is that if a child sees a light, not a light, a, a carrot dangling at the end of a tunnel, he will say, Right, do I have, again, it's attitude ability. I have mili- miniature ability. If I show attitude, I can make that. Whereas if the GA come in now and say, No, absolutely no way you'll see it in four five six years time God help us if we're still here we'll be saying they'll be coming on saying the GA now are, are starting a recruitment drive because people will walk away from it yeah. The there's nothing happened. better than skiing a skull going down look at the echo yesterday the carnival atmosphere the whole school yeah. gets into a yeah. bus and they go down to Park Cueve and there's a cup at the end of it yeah, when right. I was playing skiing a skull when John was playing skiing a skull you got the cup into your school a young fellow was given the cup to take home for a few days and he showed it off to his neighbours It went around to classroom to classroom and that encouraged people to say I want to be like him yeah. now, you, go, you see Patrick Horgan yeah, Party Cup medals, Skeena Skull medals. Fellas want to be Patrick Corrigan because he's winning things. Do you know what I'm saying? I
4: do, I do. But th- the other thing about it is the p- p- publication of scores. Now, now I would never too comfortable, Finn, when I see
6: twelve twenty six to four points for an Yes, I agree Corrigan. with you, hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree with that, but. There still has to be a system where there's, like referees now have been told, if a game is getting out of hand, they ask the coaches, will we blow this up and we'll put in a a nominal score? Why not go back to that? Why not say, uh, team, Bally go backwards, beat... Team Bally go forwards by two points leave it at that because yeah. from years ago on the on the Southgate and the Northgate if you remember those publications there'd be a page dedicated to and you ran home from school you picked up did I get my name in the paper such and such a person did well such a person did. and it wasn't the same names every week because you got a guy that would be as I say of limited ability yeah. but he tried harder that week and he got his name on the paper and that for a young fella It'll who make. wants to get involved in sport, is a huge, huge thing.
4: You make a point as well, Finn, which I have to say, accord to me, the world, the big bad world out there, real life is competitive. Real life Absolutely. is dog-eat-dog. Dog, and if you don't start learning that as young as you can, you'll struggle in later life. Life is not about, real life is not about a participation medal.
6: It's not. You don't get a. You don't get a participation when you go up to the pearly gates. You have to make what you. What you do. You take a bad path hands up, I have done that in the past, you take a good path. And what's at the end of those paths is what you set out to achieve. And you're not going to achieve something. And you will see, I'm telling you, you mark my words, five or six years time, there's going to be a massive GA drive if this comes in. And I think that the, the older hurlers, the likes of Billy Morgan, the likes of Brother Cusack. I remember Brother Cusack being known in Sully's Key with him night after night after night. And he taught us to play hurling through Irish. And we got the best of both worlds. Because we were competitive, and like if you spoke English, there was a free given against the other team. And we used to laugh, we used to have great <laughs> fun with it, but at the end of the day, he was right. Is that Be- a true story, 100%, 100% down the school, we used to play ground hurling down in the yard, which is now the Flying Enterprise, and we used to have to play through Irish. And if you called, your PJ pulled up free and Brother Cusack used to have a great level because he was a handy man with the stick himself. He not alone across the backside but also in the hurling. He was a good look- And he will tell you this. You could ring him up and he'll tell you. And he used no... He used no particular traits of particular players because he saw them being competitive.
4: All right. OK, Finn. Good contribution. Thank you. Finn believes that you need to learn competitiveness at a very young age because if you don't, well, there's no place in the real world. Participation in medals are everything now and they're lovely. They're nice, like, but they've no place in the real world because the real world is a harsh place. He also maintains that if you take the competition out of underage, particularly things like ski skiing a skull and street leagues and all of that, if you take that out of it, kids will walk away from the sport. Now, Mary Newman has spent her entire life involved in, in Komogi. Come up on that point, Mary, before you... Uh, say what your main point is, but the point is that if you take the competitiveness out of it, kids will walk away. Morning.
11: Good morning, PJ. How are you? It's a lovely morning. Um, PJ, yeah, like, I, 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 um, look, kids are always going to be competitive, and as you know, I'm very involved in my own club here, and we would have go games, we'd be involved in go games, and it, no matter what age they are, if they're done training and they're five or six, they're competitive. They're trying to be the best. Yeah. But I, I, like this team, the GA have come over, that has always been there. But it's only in the last couple of weeks they're really clamping down on it. And my big concern is not for the smallies, because I agree with the small-sided games for smallies. Because there's nothing worse than seeing seven-year-olds. If you see 25 seven-year-olds on pitch, they're all the one ball. So like at 7, 8, 9, 10 and 11, they, they're broken up into small-sided teams. For instance, your own club, Nemo. If Nemo came to my club Glen Rovers and you had 21 seven-year-olds, you're supposed to break, supposed to break them up into three sevens. And the same with the eight and nines, you break them up into nine groups of nines at groups of 11. But it's when it comes up to the age 11 and 12, these are the guys that are really want to play a mm. match. They don't want to be playing in a small-sided base, nine, tennis
4: This is where talent is starting to emerge,
11: exactly, Mary. Exactly, PJ. And I will just give you an example. The Cork and Moldy board have had t- fantastic other five leagues, and they started that this was six, seven weeks ago. Yeah. And we will be playing on the year side, go-games rules. Now, I think for 12-year-olds to be playing go-games rules, it's a bit, you know, it's it's, it's kind of silly, because in go-games, you pick the ball, you take your four steps, one hop in the hurley, and you have to hit it. You can't solo. Because they believe, they think, uh, they think. I think the rule is that they don't want to like, one child dominating. But those 12-year-olds, a lot of them are playing on their clubs, especially girls, under-13 team and under-14 team. And I heard a child the other night turn into our coach and uh, quite in she said, uh, what's the rules tonight? This is under-13. Is it different than the match I played Friday night? So there's a different rule for twelve and 14. We agree with Go Games up to the age of about 10. Sorry, go back, I think, go back to I,
4: something you said there, Mary. Sorry to cut a question but I I do want to, in case I missed it, in case I picked it up wrong, you're saying that there's a, a certain. A child yes. who is able, I mean, soloing the ball on the yes. tip of a hurley is, is, is one of in the action, great skills of our game.
11: Isn't Yes. And in Go Games, what you do, you pick the ball, and take your four steps into the hand, short solo. I think they're allowed a five second solo. You must hit the ball. So we had a girl the other night. I won't name her. Mm-hmm. A fantastic player under twelve. She's actually a young one who actually will is, has played under fourteen because she's, you know, she's a very strong player. And that child turned the other night to the coach just before the match started, and she said, "Can I now? Can I solo?" Because she was still under thirteen. So she could solo. She could solo with the ball at under thirteen but under 12 it's still go games it's encouraging them to learn to yes. solo
4: we should be yes. Mary
11: yes exactly you right, look, am I right I, or wrong there yes but like PJ I agree with 7, 8, 9 10 even playing go games playing small sided games and look everybody wins they all get the sweet we had it below last Saturday in our own club we had a fantastic Saturday morning organised by Carl one of our under 7 and 8 mentors and all the lads we had um, Blackrock and Shalibu up for a fantastic hour. We divided them up. She had them all. We had eight, nine pitches, seven and eight-year-old girls. And they all got sweets at the end of it. And um, so they didn't know who won or lost. And that's goal games. But for, for 11 and 12-year-olds, like, we in Shandong here in Komogi had a fantastic under-11 development league. It was for, It was actually an under-12 development league which was for 11-year-olds down. I was to get them ready for, you know, that next step for the following year when they play under 12 league? Yeah. We were halfway through it, our gang went off and played in their cluster blitz. They had two great matches from Black Cross and Brian Dillon. Should they were delighted. They yeah. came out on top thought they were in the semi-final. Next season, they came out and said, no, no more competitions under 11. Yeah. So the coach had to tell these coaches no, you're not in any semi-final now. We'll be playing to the future. So yeah. like, Coming, it's back crazy, where, it's yeah,
4: crazy. coming back to yeah, come back to where what Finn something else what Finn was saying like where are we going to find the next DJ Carey or or the next Pa Horgan if we don't get, and come, the next come,
11: Linda come. there you go and
4: then I was just <laughs> going to say that I was just going to say that Mary the next Ashling Thompson like, yeah Ashling and I know because you know we followed Ashling's other careers here through following the in this Fitzgibbon. <laughs> exactly Ashling's even you could name them off all day they were showing prowess
11: at seven. Exactly. Like, and I, I still think, CJ, that the Go Games will produce these players. But when they get to 11, that's where my problem is. Because at 11, they want to play a match. Like, I, I've had an instance of it here with my own grannies. As you know, Ellie May, you know how yeah, well I'm do, sure. From right, she's 11. She's gone up this year. She's kind of gone from the Go Games phase to playing with the under-11 team and the under-12 team. Absolutely delighted with herself. When this thing came out a few weeks ago, she said to me, do this mean now we're playing blitzes again? And I said, um, yeah, under-11, is blitzes still. And she went, but like, I want to play a match. And I said, but you'll still be playing a match. But she said, supposing we have 12 players at 11, which a lot of clubs, PJ, especially small clubs, they might have five, six, seven, eight, like Mary goes to Sinan, or goes to France, they're missing in the summer. But, suppose the club has, we say, eight under 11. They cannot play a match unless they can get two other clubs to come to Nemo or the Glenfield to play them. Because it must be a blitz. Yeah. Okay. Now, if we have 20 and we say Nemo have 20, we must divide them up into two tens. But, like, suppose you can't get two clubs to come. Yeah. Then, you have one club. You can't play a one-on-one match. And supposing we each have eight, so that's two four sides for eleven-year-olds.
4: It's, it's all a bit mad. It's all a bit mad. <laughs> it's
11: all a bit mad. A bit mad and, like, and I do, I do agree with this medal and trophy thing. Is it's, it's not on for tiny tots. Give them all a pack of sweets or give them a shirt. Right. But I think at, from eleven up, I think the GA really need to just look at letting these age groups play a match okay. and not a blitz
4: All right. you know All right. I'll leave it there Mary because I want to get it to Pat thank you very much uh, Mary de- devoted her entire life, has devoted her entire life to Camogie and to her, her, her local club I think she her, her voice carries authority thank you Mary Pat what did you want to say
12: good morning Peter um, last week that I was reading I was on the internet and there was a Dublin family actually took a high court case against uh, one of the Dublin clubs because they termed um, was it elite players under nine, and their the, the young lad wasn't getting a game, so they, they actually won their case. Now, the GA, that rule has been in there the whole time. It's been there for years, but apparently it's been just ignored. But I think it's on the foot of this uh, this court case that they, they let went out last week to all the clubs. Yeah. That they're not to, um, you know, have competition under 12. And to my knowledge, skiing is called, that doesn't affect it. It's only, it's only games that are run by the GA clubs affiliated to the GA. I
4: think
12: that's that's run
4: by the schools. Yeah,
12: that's run by the schools, yeah, so that's not going to affect it. And the other side of it, you said to yourself, I'll like, what PJ like that and the same happened to me when I was a young lad. Uh, we didn't get games because I suppose we weren't uh, it's not that we weren't good enough, but we didn't have the same commitment.
4: No, listen, you'd only give me a hurley if you didn't care for the safety of those around me. That's the truth.
12: Yeah and and look truth different I suppose but I, I know, they're no, I'm not involved. I, I I took a back seat there about ten years ago. And I never, I never got uh, a yeah, with back. But there's in Benicarló County know, the, the under-12s. There's 50 youngsters in the squad, right? They have two teams, so they're taking all the team of I think there's uh, 12 at the moment and three subs. So just working out, 12 and three subs, 15. By multiply that by two teams, totally that means there's 20 kids not getting a game, and like, if there's a question of that you go out to win, you're not going to take out, you know, the the the, the mediocre players. You're going to take out your best players of all time. So, so you, that means
4: you kind of agree
12: with the uncompetitive side of it, do you? I totally, I totally do, yeah, because okay. it gives a. Where are you going to
4: find the next great?
12: I will find a bit listen this, those kids came up through the ranks uh, under, you know, under ten, under eleven, under twelve. But there's other people that didn't take up the sport until their teenage years.
4: I see. Okay, that's a good point. So, Pat, you'd be in favour of the non-competitive element for for the youngsters, just to get them enjoying the game. Thanks, Pat. Mary has a much more in-depth analysis of the situation. It's going to make it difficult for clubs to make teams for games, and they'll be sorting in blitzes. And you know, she quotes. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know, It's the truth. On the subject of skill and skull, can you congratulate St. Patrick's of Gardner's Hill who won it? Happy to do that. I think it's very good for children to learn how to handle success and defeat before it all gets tied up with image and reputation in adolescence. That's how you make a kid into a rounded person. Plus, it's lovely to see them all walking to games on a Saturday morning with all the serious looks on their faces. So cute. Yeah, I mean, sure, 8 and 9, you want to be too competitive. You don't want a 12, 26 to 4 points scoreline at the end of it being published. And most, you don't want that, because that's hard on the kids. But you want them to be able to tear into one another and, and have a game, and there would be something at the end of it. PJ, we're talking to Finn about GA and about referees. My son's a member of an under-14s club who organised three different matches over the last few weeks. The referees just didn't show up. And there was no explanation all the matches ended up being cancelled some were played as friendlies it's a disgrace, the boys are very sporty and they were so disheart disappointed, thank you 0818 96, 96, 96. alright, it's the biggest media story, it's dominating newspapers it's dominating television, it's dominating radio talk shows across the UK and it's making headlines on all the newspapers here, I speak of Philip Schofield what is going on there, who knew what when did they know it? And why has Eamon Holmes put bolt boots in which studs up? Go to it next. O eight one
3: eight ninety six ninety six
2: ninety-six. Join the conversation. Text draw WhatsApp. 96 O eight three three ninety-six ninety-six ninety-six. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Cook. ninety-six FM
4: So this all kind of started a few years ago when Philip Schofield sat on the good morning. Sofa, and came out and said he was gay. And for a lot of people who watch show business, it's kind of the biggest unkept secret in showbiz at the time. Everyone said, "Okay, so what?" Next story. Then there were rumors about a very young man. And those rumors went away. At the time. And then they resurfaced a few weeks ago. And it led to Philip Schofield's exit from the This Morning programme, his exit from ITV. He has been uh, disowned or sacked or removed from his um, production company, his, his, um, his management company. They've gotten rid of him. He said that he lied about this and he lied about that and he lied about the other. There was a young man, a very young man, which Schofield said that the relationship was unwise but not illegal at the time. And it all just rolled up into a horrible ball of controversy. And now he's gone from television, his television career is over. Holly Willoughby is off television at the moment, insists she'll be back, but there are those who say she never will be. Eamon Holmes, who also of course worked for ITV for many years, has given an interview this week to Dan Wooten on GB News. Now, Eamon Holmes works at GB News at the moment and he worked alongside Schofield for many years. And he has put both boots into Philip Schofield with the studs up. On the basis that I never liked you, um, no one likes you, and there's a big cover-up going on, and everybody knew something wasn't right with you. And stop your old nonsense, and accept that you're a liar, and accept this, and accept that, and accept you. It's an explosive interview. Now, I've kind of subbed it all down here into about two and a half minutes of the strongest things that Eamon Holmes has been saying. And you're wondering... Why
6: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
4: Why are we talking about this? Because these people are household names. And there's some very, very unsavory stuff would appear to have been happening over the last couple of years. But the, here's the stuff that we've we've drilled down into a, a couple of minutes for you. This is Eamon Holmes. He starts by talking about the morning Schofield came out on television and the fact that he and his wife Ruth, who still works in ITV, they had their concerns that morning as the announcement was being made by Schofield. End by Holly Willoughby.
7: We began to feel there was a certain line being padded here, just beginning to feel bad vibes about this. I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't say anything in the the opener. Ruth says what she has to say. Then it goes to those two in their choreographed way. Knowing how false they are, I'm sure they've rehearsed it for mm-hmm. days. So it's this has been planned for some this time. this has been planned for some time. And it then materialises Obviously, all is not what it seems. It's a total cover-up. Those in authority had to know, they had to know what was going on, and they thought they would dodge a bullet with this, which they, which they do, and they do constantly. Schofield talking about those who speak out against him, namely me, Amanda Holden, and you, you simply sit there and think, no, mate, you have had it all your way for too long. I think Philip is absolutely right about toxicity. But, my friend, the toxicity is not with me or anyone else. The toxicity is with you and your mates in management and everybody who kept you in power for so long. He created an atmosphere where people hated him. People would, would avoid him in the corridor. He didn't look at anybody, didn't know anybody's name. It's nonsense. Do you think there could be
13: more revelations about Philip Schofield?
7: Well... I sit and I wonder, why did Philip Schofield give a statement to the Daily Mail that he lied. He lied to his agents, he lied to ITV, he lied to his colleagues, he lied. Why suddenly change his tune? And if he lied once, he'll lie again. You don't know what's fact and what's fiction with him. Not only should Philip go, but Holly should follow him close out the door. I don't think you will ever see Holly Willoughby back on the couch. There are people who say, for her, it's not about what Philip did for her, it's not about um, protecting the young fellow involved or whatever. There are people who are financial experts who will say this is about brand protection mm-hmm. with her, she's got her, her company and she's got advertising deals which suspiciously looks like she's trying to distance herself from Philip to protect those. Do you fear now for your future in the industry? <sighs> For I, I Ruth's future at ITV? I well, I think, I think they're... Listen, TV doesn't like people who don't toe the line. I'm no threat to anyone, but I do think that
4: abuse has got to be called out. Crossy, that's not the soft and cuddly Eamon Holmes we might have been used to, but he certainly is putting the boot in here. Good morning.
13: Good morning. He seems to be the face of everything that's going on at the minute. Like, whether like you know, this morning is on from ten until what one o'clock every single day. A lot of people are in work, but everybody is talking about it. Yes. Uh, I know in the circle in the circles that I've been in over the years, I have heard wild stories about the two of them about about how rude they are. And I remember this one time I was on a red carpet and Holly walked up, and I was like, "Oh, grand! I'll use this." And uh, all the other, like they're not, they weren't like journalists. They were presenters that were on the red carpet, and they all turned their backs. And I was like, "Why you turn your back?" And they're like. Evil, not nice person. Keep what keep, just keep away. And I was only, you know, a young fella, kind of going, God, we're going to get to talk to Holly. So they've had that reputation of be because they were so good at what they did, yes. That they, it was kind of excused that, that they could be rude, and you can hear that from Eamon. He has said it on, on numerous occasions now that the two of them didn't know anybody in the building, and he also said the other night he, you'll probably start seeing now another narrative of holly hanging out with people or holly you know being with people on the team that she probably would have never went with and then two days later she was pictured with alison hammond at alison's birthday so you know you're kind of seeing that narrative being pushed out yeah. but i think he's right i don't i don't think he, she is going to be on that couch again but well, she says I, she'd be back there's still Monday. more to come out she's still yeah, there's yeah the thing. She's the not- sun,
4: they must be both dreading the sunday papers
13: Yeah, yeah. And uh, the people are saying that there's super injunctions, there's injunctions and all that. We don't know anything about that. But I would presume a lot of people know a lot of things and they're just waiting to pounce on. If like, you know, Dr. Rand, she was on it for a couple of years. He left the show two years ago and he's come out with a statement and said he left because there was so much stuff going on. He reported about it uh, to the bosses and the bosses ignored him. So he had to leave. Yeah. Uh, why did Rylan leave? You know, Rylan has apparently been one of them as well, ready to give out. I don't think as strong as Eamon. Eamon's been proper. Like he has been. Jesus, the things he has said over the past few days, mm. it's been... It, it, rev- it sounds rev-
4: like, Crossy, it sounds like it's he was bottling it up for a very long time and, and, and that he's now at a point where he, he needs to get it out there before someone comes and says, Eamon, why didn't you speak up?
13: now he is, he has been uh, tweeting back to people who've sent a photograph of him hugging Philip, remember when he yes, came out I saw that and he like, him. yeah, you hugged him and he's been properly saying I didn't know, I knew nothing about it and we said last night that he had an inkling over things but you know, if you have an inkling you can't start shouting about things the man just came out, it was a massive I remember that morning he came out it was at 10am, we just finished our breakfast show and it was everywhere, everyone was talking he about was the it the worst kept was a, secret in um, show
4: business, Chrissy
13: yeah yeah and his poor wife like I, like even when he was saying things you know th- there's been so many when he announced that he that he was with that guy he says it was unwise but not illegal you know, like words like that, you have to be so careful of what you say and how you say it. And then him posting stuff up on on Insta stories rather than doing a proper statement, because it disappears after a while. Now people can screenshot it, mm-hmm. but you know when it's when it's the normal the normal PR the way the way it's spun. He doesn't have that. They've dropped him as well. The Prince's Trust, which is King Charles's yes. charity, they've dropped him as well. And um, now you're probably thinking, God, how is he going to survive? He's probably worth about 15, 16 million. The same thing. So, yeah.
4: <laughs> I, 61 years you know, of age, he can, can take early retirement, you know?
13: <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Has his career, is it gone? I would presume so. I would presume this is this. You know, it depends on what else is going to come out. If there is more stuff to come out, I don't think he was ever going to be doing the Soap Awards. I don't think he was ever going to be doing Dancing on Ice when he was when he left this morning. I think that was it. That was him with ITV gone. Holly is just the interesting one. I think the story, if it does calm down, they will then be looking at Holly. Go, what did you know? How did you know? There's so many videos out there of that young fella um, doing. You know, I have a friend of mine who used to work on that show, and he was never in a photograph and he was never in a video with Phil and Holly and this fella had so much access to them which I found remarkable so you'd have to question what did Holly know like if if you have a co-host or any of your producers or researchers you kind of know everything about them don't you you like you talk you talk surely to God there was a conversation there where they they were going so how was your night what did you get up to yeah yeah Um,
4: yeah you think she's finished as well you agree with him in there
13: I I, I I think she is. I think what they'll try and do is they'll move her on and I'll say she'll start doing, you know, like, if you'd probably saw Anton Deck start and I takeaways gone, will they give her a slot there? Will she do eight weeks next January, prime time? Will she do, you know, more live TV shows and it not being a morning show? Because she is still massive. She's huge.
4: Yes, that's the She's
13: thing. She's huge, but sadly... Sadly, I think everything's built up. Even that thing, you know, when they skipped the queue for the queen, the Queen's funeral. Like, yeah. People don't forget those things. Yeah, that Holmes was asked, was f-
4: talked about that actually in the interview, in another section of the interview. And he said the excuse they used was they were making a movie or uh, making a film. Where's the film?
13: Yeah, there's been nothing of it. My friend was actually there. She queued for 72 hours and she was a couple of meters away from them when they skipped. And she said there was no cameras there. Just randomly, randomly, my friend queued there. She, she was off work for a week and she says, Oh, this is a momentous occasion. I'm going to do it as a, you know, years later. And randomly, she was there on the day. She was like, Yeah, she was like, I forgot to tell you. But she was like, They weren't, mm. there, were, there was no cameras around like that there. They just,
4: they, 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 they skipped the queue. Yeah, the other thing, too, is, of course, we now don't even know, even though they had that. And look, some of the YouTube clips will last forever, Crossy, of them just collapsing in convulsions. On the telly, and this great chemistry they seem to have. You're asking people asking the questions now. Did they even like each other? Very much.
13: They, they look. They, they worked well together. They were a business partner, business couples. They did really well, you know, for twenty odd years. First of all, was Fern Britain, and I think she's the next one to blow. I I kind of feel like Fern is, Fern's been liking a few tweets. She's been replying to Eamon quite a bit. So when she, because like she left fairly quickly when this morning, uh, Fern Britain was Phil's first kind of married couple that yeah. they were always together and then there was a bit of controversy around that and then she had to leave so I wonder, w- like, will she have something to say? I'm, I'm sure she would if she was mm-hmm. with them every single day if she had an argument with them, what's going to happen but as you said, it's the Sunday papers yeah. this weekend, probably next weekend and the weekend after that I imagine that the young man in ample. question
4: and we have to be cognizant of the fact that there is a, there is a young man here who is at the centre of this story he has been named. I'm not going to use his name. I wouldn't dream of it. I, I, I would imagine the media are after his story. Will it come out, do you think?
13: I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's been reported this morning that he was paid off by ITV to, you know, to keep quiet. I will presume if he ever wants to work on TV again, he probably will shut his mouth and say nothing. Um, I would I would say having someone hound you every single day is not good for your mental health, no. and I say that's and I'd say that is the next thing. Even for the likes of Philip and Holly, and for anyone who's worked on that show, having it constantly, people asking you questions like uh, Dermot O'Leary was heckled by Sky News the other day, and he was like, "Leave me alone! I don't know what's going on." Yeah, and they were camping out of, outside his house. Yeah. So he'd never be on the same time as Philip as well. So yeah, look, it's strange. I don't think the story's going to end anytime soon. I don't. We're think all so. we're all so interested in it. Everyone is interested in it, even but if it's just passing.
4: Much much as I always say, you know, show business and me, just you know, give me the give me the bare facts. I am fascinated by this, and every day bring more more revelations. Crossy, thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six. Cheers. Cheers, mate. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Your thoughts. Everybody knew. I knew someone would say this. Look, GB News is just where Eamon Holmes makes his living these days. But everybody knew says far right TV station employee who said absolutely nothing until now. Uh, Almost as if the business of news has taken over from what was tabloid nonsense. Well, this has gone far beyond tabloid nonsense. This is a massive scandal in one of the biggest television companies in Europe, who knew what and when did they know and what was covered up and by whom and how far up the chain did the cover-up go. That is a news story. It's not tabloid nonsense. Um, And yes, um, GB News is a strange television station, to say the very, very least. Um, I follow it because I follow all news outlets on Twitter and things like that. Uh, but Eamon Holmes plays his trade there now but remember he has a very good pedigree Eamon Holmes has Sky News on his CV and Eamon Holmes has ITV on his CV and Eamon Holmes has many other fine media outlets on his CV so you know to dismiss him as a right to far right TV station employee is a bit rich Ross in the morning weekdays 6 to 9am
3: d FM.
2: Went paddleboarding
6: yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah, first time out. Went to Ardmore. Ardmore's in Waterford. Yeah, over the bridge and everything. The yeah. bridge into Waterford. And then the it's the like... Bridge over Troubles water. Yes. Hurt. It's nice.
7: Hey, is Cork water not good enough yeah. for you? Uh, I didn't realize Ardmore was in Waterford when I typed it into to Google Maps. What brought you down there? I just typed in beaches. And <laughs> Ardmore. Are
4: you serious? We have 700 of them in Cork. This yeah. Rocky Bay. I thought Ardmore was one of the ones we had. <laughs> You're
3: so donkey. Casey and Ross in the morning. Test drive the award. Winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at
4: no DC Cars Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year Courts 96 FL. They're only TV presenters says John uh, I can't understand the cult of celebrity they're about as interesting as watching paint dry. What he did to his wife and kids was horrible. He's an obnoxious little shite says John. I was never a fan. Now to be very straight with you. I was never a fan of uh, Philip Schofield. I have far more time actually, as it turns out, for for Eamon Holmes. There's far more meat to Holmes in terms of of, of what he's done over the years. But <laughs> they're they're only TV presenters, but they become household names. It's it's kind of the nature of the beast, do you know. I mean, look at Marty Morrissey. Now, apart from being one of the nicest guys in Irish media, without shadow or doubt. He's a household name in places that there's no interest whatsoever in sport. That's, that's what happens. 0818 96 96 96. Now, on Tuesday, the cabinet approved legislation that will ban e-cigs, vapes, being sold to anyone aged under 18. It also banned them from being sold from vending machines, from certain premises and at events where children might be going. Disposable ones, it would be very hard to to come by for under-18s after the summer. In fact, it will be illegal to sell any kind of a vape to an under-18-year-old from the summer time. That's gone through Cabinet and legislation they're telling us will be in place before the summer recess. But there's a group called the Voice of Irish Concern for the Environment who want to go one step further and ban disposable vapes entirely for environmental reasons. Lindsay O'Connell is their director of communications. Morning, Lindsay.
14: Good morning, Julia.
4: This legislation will be strong. It'll take it out of the hands of uh, the under 18s, but why do you want it to go further?
14: That's right, so this legislation is good and we do welcome it Um, and it is great to see that it's going to restrict advertising as well. Um, but disposable vapes are a different kind of animal completely. Um, so there's loads of different problems with this. There's environmental, obviously. This is a huge one. If you go into a shop and you buy a disposable vape, they're considered to be a wee product because they contain, you know, lithium and copper and all these valuable materials. And they're supposed to be returned back to that shop so they could be broken down and we could take out those materials and reuse them. Yeah. But what's happening is that shops aren't giving customers that information. It's not on the packaging. There's no signage. In the shops, which they're supposed to do by law, and so people are buying these. And now I've gone into a number of shops myself in them just to see what the people in the shop would say, and they always say the same thing: they're disposable, throw them in the bin. And what we're seeing, and um, we've got you know campaigners and litter pickers all around the country, is we're finding them on the beaches, we're finding them in our fields and our roadsides. And I'm sure your listeners have come across some really brightly coloured small plastic and mm. um, kind of devices, you know.
3: Yeah, and so. Days.
14: Yeah. And, you know, worryingly, we have um, a litter picking uh, program that is with primary schools. And we're hearing about seven year olds who have a favorite flavor because they're seeing them out in the environment. They're saying triple mango. That's my favorite. They're picking it up and they're smoking it. And little do they know that these kids know that these vapes are actually full of nicotine uh, very high levels of nicotine. So for the first time, actually, in a very, very long time, we're seeing addiction to nicotine amongst young people on the rise. And a study came out recently to say that one in five school children are now vaping. Um, And we feel that it's these disposable vapes that are the problem. Now, the new laws that are coming in with this legislation, the cabinet ministers have signed, although great, we don't think go far enough. It's the disposable vapes. They're a scourge on the environment. They're a scourge on health. And they're a scourge because of the precious resources and materials in them. And they're not needed. We have a refillable and a reusable vape. Why do we need a disposable vape?
4: Yeah, yeah. You know? So you want them gone off the Irish market entirely. We would be the first country in the world to do that, wouldn't we, Lindsay?
14: Not the world. So um, part of the Australian ban recently, um, they've banned disposable vapes. Other countries have brought in different measures, like banning all the exotic flavours. Um, but we would be the first country in Europe to do it, and this is why we really want to push it now. Minister Oshin Smith, his minister for state and circular economy, is very, very much up for banning these uh, disposable vapes. What we're trying to do, and today we have an open letter, it's signed by the Earth Heart Foundation and Friends of the Earth, leading you know environmental and health organisations. We're coming together to support the Minister Smith to say go for it, do it, we're behind you. And then we also have a public petition out for people to sh- to put up a show of hands to say, we want them gone as well, because there is a reusable version there. We don't need the disposable. They're quite... um. Uh, targeted the ads that they're doing on TikTok to young people. Mm. I mean I was a smoker myself I can say it personally and I smoked vapes and it helped me stop smoking but those triple mango triple melon they're not aimed at me they're aimed at young people. The, the, there's you know. a
4: point that's made Lindsay and made frequently that when the vape came out it was to get people who were diff- had difficulty giving up smoking to help them give up smoking and and it was successful for many people but I remember seeing these things Strawberry flavor. Why would you want strawberry flavor? Only to get someone into nicotine addiction. So it's like as if the vape industry saw people quitting, or the cigarette industry saw people quitting cigarettes through vapes, so they better find another way to get them back into smoking.
14: A hundred percent, that's what it is. And all of the tobacco companies are now pivoting into vaping. So they're labeled as a safe alternative to smoking, but there's no long term studies to prove that yet. And they're far from harmless. And um, actually, experts are now concerned that they're frequently more a gateway to smoking for young people. And um, then being used as a tool for the existing smokers to quit. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it runs contrary to, to to their marketing completely.
4: Okay. And your group, Voice of Irish Concern for the Environment, wants the disposables completely banned in Ireland. Lindsay O'Connell, thank you. You guys ready? You guys ready? The big drive home weekdays from four
3: on Corks
9: ninety six FM. Festival season is almost upon us, so let's do a quick festival checklist. Wellies. Tent, dry shampoo, baby wipes, Tickets. Tickets. Just as well. All this week I'm giving away passes for independence in Mitchellstown. Your chance to see Anne Marie, Jax Jones, Inhaler, Belchers Only, and more this August. Tune in to win every
3: weekday from fork. The Big Drive Home. With Independence Music and Arts Festival. Magic and Memories at Indie23. Tickets at IndependenceFestival.com.
2: Cork's 96 FM. <laughs> the lines are live.
3: Hello. Oh, Join the conversation Call 0818-9696 Text or WhatsApp 83
2: 396
3: Email opinion at 96fm.ie This
2: is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Pogs 96fm
4: Let me come back to some of the correspondence we've had from our first topic of conversation on the Opinion Line today. If you missed it, you can go back on the podcast later. I chatted with Mary Crilly about the case against Derek Nagel, a 56-year-old naval instructor who got the Probation Act at Cork Circuit Criminal Court. He admitted slapping a new naval recruit on the buttocks and saying, you're lucky it wasn't 14 or 15 years ago. It was part of a, an assault against Shauna O'Connor, who uh, waived her right to anonymity, reported the incident that happened on the 1st of March 2022. Nagel uh, pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting uh, Shauna O'Connor at the naval base in Hall Bolin. Back in March 2022 I was talking to Mary Crilly about it And I certainly would love to Shake Shauna O'Connor by the hand And say well done you So would Mary Crilly And it was such an important case She spoke in court About how her life Is still not right Uh, She said you try to You move on and you remain strong But there's only so much that One person can take She gave quite a lengthy victim impact statement to the court. She wasn't in court, but her statement was read out. PJ, the content of the naval man was reprehensible. Any sailor, marine, soldier or airman should be expelled if that happened. A person with those traits will not put their country or fellow soldiers first. They will not give themselves for the betterment of their country. There is no honour there. Defence forces should hire me. And I will teach them acceptable behaviour based on American military values and rules. We volunteer not for power, but to empower those without power. That's not signed, but thank you. Very strong comment. Good morning, PJ. Honor Murphy here from the Women of Honor. Women of Honor would just like to echo what Mary Crilly said this morning. We commend Shauna and her bravery and we hope she gets the support that she needs and she has our full support if she ever should need it. And indeed, Mary said her door is open if Shauna feels the need to talk to one of Mary's team yeah there's a few more comments uh, like that and, and thank you for them 0818 96, 96, 96 now I have a book in front of me here it's called How Did I Get Here? Travelling the Road to Resilience now, it's an interesting read written by a black rock man Andrew Fitzgerald who has made his life's work in the drinks industry as a marketing expert and brand management expert in the drinks in- industry. Um, from BlackRock, based in in the States now for many, many years. But the book is about other things too. It's about a health crisis that he's had. He had it fixed, um, but it damn nearly killed him twice. Um, it's about also how he finds himself, where he finds himself in the corporate world and how he often pinches himself and wonders how the hell did I get here but also detailed within the book are the tragedies of four miscarriages Um, and it's that which a lot of people have focused upon in reviewing the book and in talking to Andrew about the book and he joins me now for such a discussion Andrew when you sat down to write this memoir, which is an interesting read, by the way, and, and, and well done on it. I don't think you would any idea that the message about the miscarriage or the section about the miscarriages would take off in the way that it has.
15: No, I did not. So I wrote a book with four main sections in my life, uh, a health crisis, emigrating from Cork to San Diego, where I live now, 11 years ago my corporate life in the drinks industry, and then, of course, the very personal grief and loss that my wife, Jane, who's also from Cork, suffered. We had four miscarriages, Mm. and that part is really hitting home with both men and females. That was never your intention, I
4: assume, and, and you're surprised that it's taken off.
15: Yeah, absolutely. I wrote the book, really, with three motivations in mind. One, was to have no regrets it's something i wanted to do mm. i loved english in douglas community school and i was great at writing and my wife pushed me to do it because she would listen to me and she would say will you go and write that book and just start it and i did two and a half years ago mm. um and the second one was to hand a copy to alfie so he's her fifth pregnancy but i uh, mean our first successful pregnancy. And he's our hero. And I want to give him a copy of my book, leave a legacy for him. I'm forty five. He's four years of age. You know what's Mm. You know, I I want him to know about our lives and where we grew up. I did want the reader to get something of it, but I never thought it would be the miscarriage piece that people would really resonate with. Mm. And I think the book is all about resilience in life. And that's the core theme. And I guess going through miscarriage or people trying for kids, you do need to be resilient. You need to be hopeful. And I hope that Jane uh, and my story can can inspire people to have hope and keep going because it does work out for people.
4: You went through it 4 times. That that's that's hard.
15: 4 times in 4 years in America with no family support, which of course is our choice to live here and we didn't tell anyone, which was the right thing and the wrong thing, the right thing because it gave us a bit of privacy. The right thing because what can mum and dad and Black Rock and, and Jane's parents and Karageline do you know, other than worrying them but equally it would have been helpful to talk to people and be a bit more open.
4: So is this the first time that you're revealing it publicly to anyone?
15: Pretty much you know Jane would have spoken to one or two of her sisters and when Alfie was born we were a bit more brave than to tell our folks and family but for anybody outside of our main circle yeah the book reveals all you know which is mm. kind of startling in one way but it was cathartic for me to write everything down, not only about miscarriage, but about my life. Yeah, maybe reconcile some of those things, and um, it's it's really humbling. I mean, to say I'm an author, to say I'm an international best-selling author on Amazon is something new to me yeah. as well. But people have been reaching out, and um, men generally, I guess, we don't open up about things. No. Females are much naturally better at doing that, and everybody kind of grieves in a different way, you know. So myself and Jane were. You know, it's the best news you can get to say you're pregnant. It's yeah. the most devastating news when you when you have a miscarriage.
4: Yes, and, and sometimes it wasn't delivered very cleanly, reading the book.
15: Yeah, so, I mean, each time we had a miscarriage, they were all different but the same, you know, the devastation, the loss. Um, the first time, I guess, we were all excited, waiting in the waiting room here in San Diego with all the other expectant couples, and they were coming out with balloons and teddy bears either pink or blue after finding out the gender. And we were excited to go in and we started to scan and then we could tell straight away from the doctor's face, there was something wrong. And then she delivered the terrible news. I'm sorry to say the pregnancy has stopped after six weeks and, you know, we're stunned. And then, you know, I went to sort of get the um, door back to the lobby, the reception. And, you know, we were, we were shown the back door, you know, down in a cold metal stairwell down into the parking lot. You know pay your parking fee and off you go and i did think that was very crass at the time uh and on the way home and then after processing it now you know i think in one way they were being empathetic too uh, but equally didn't want us walking back out seeing that we were crying in yeah. front of the other patients so i kind of back and forth a little bit on that but um the doctors couldn't say there was anything medically wrong it was just mother nature that's all yeah. we kept hearing and that's the hardest thing yeah if was yeah. medically you may be able to you know, do something.
4: Because your life in, in business, in corporate world, you're a problem solver. To come up against something for which there is no answer, that in yourself, in your own head, must be difficult to cope.
15: Very difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've worked in the drinks industry and sales all my life, and I'm solution orientated. If you say, Andrew, uh, you know, we have a problem here. What's your solution? I will find it. I'll go over over across the street through a brick wall if that means that's going to happen. That's worse when you just have to be patient and and just sit there. And, and acceptance is very difficult, but. The medical people are the experts and they all said, you know, it's mother nature. And we had to accept that as best we could. You know, and that was the first miscarriage, the second miscarriage. I wasn't even in town when Jane was having it. I had to leave a sales meeting, try and get through rush hour traffic for 90 minutes. I called the cops here and I told them I'm going to take the carpool lane, which is only for two or more people. And I told them why. And they said, I would not do that. We will stop you. And I was like, oh, my God, like I think in Ireland they might make an allowance, you know, so that's all part of the process. And. And then the third one was like, oh my God, what's happening? Yeah. And then we did talk about adoption because you know we did want to become parents, but we're permanent residents, we're not citizens, so that's a bit awkward. Unfortunately, we had the fourth miscarriage the night before the 12-week scan. We were oh. so close to getting past the first trimester. And when we went in then, and all the nurses and the doctors knew of our journey, the Irish couple, And then Jane said, I was a little bit of spotting last night and you could just see the nurse knew straight away again. And um, Jane is an incredibly strong woman. She's a good Caragalline woman. And I suppose we leaned on each other an awful lot, but we threw ourselves to our corporate lives, which was good and bad. Um, And then 2019 comes August, 2019, Alfie Rian Fitzgerald was born. And it's just an incredible feeling uh, ever since. We've enjoyed him so much. And for it to turn out the way it's turned out is, is incredible. And being a parent, as everybody would know, is fantastic. It can be frustrating at times. I mm. don't have much hair, but, you know, you end up tearing your hair out even more. And he's our hero and our character now. And um, I wanted to acknowledge him and his life in, in our book, but share the story that, yeah. you know,
4: you can overcome tough times. You made the point a minute or two ago. We men, Andrew, we bury stuff. Mm. And it's not good for us. Will we ever learn not to do that?
15: perhaps as a cultural thing uh, because certainly American men are very open and um, however you know you're taking a chance and you're being brave you know by, by speaking to other men one on one you're being authentic uh, you wonder how it's going to be received but you'd be surprised what's happening in people's lives and that's you know, why am I surprised when everybody reaches out to me now? I shouldn't be because I've had all these things happen in my life and I Mm. wasn't very communicative about what was happening. But I would say to everybody, all men listening to this, you know, take a chance, you know, call up your buddy, you know, reach out, just say, hey, you know. I got something that I want to talk through, you know, yeah, the book will, will talk you through what happened to me and my experience yeah. and everybody's u- experience is unique. But I think take that chance, you know, open up, even find a Zoom forum. You know, you're, you're on Zoom, you're in the comfort of your own home, so it's a bit more safe. And I've talk, spoken to my buddies now since as well, and they're starting to tell me things. So, like, it's, a, it, it's really gratifying, but we don't, you know, everything is great. We go for a pint, we talk about sport and, and so on and so forth. And that fills a need for us men too, but you could also talk to your partner as well. You know, I mean, Jane and I were so open and communicative. How are you feeling? You know, oh, I need space, space, you know, lean on each other. Yeah. But it definitely is a thing that men can be a bit more open about these things because it happens and it can be miscarriage. It could be anything else. It can be a relationship issue. It can be unemployment. There's stuff happening in everyone's lives. You will get more out of it by talking to people. I promise.
4: Yeah. That's a very strong point. You don't realize it until you've actually started to talk, but you will get more out of it.
15: I'd be shocked if anyone says that they've never had stuff happen in their lives. And when you bury something deep, of course, you're burying it for a reason. You want to forget about it. You want to get over it. But, you know, at some stage in your life, it will probably come back hmm. at you. And, but why would you not? Life is short. You know, I mean, I had a very tough health scare at 1819 in Cork yeah I flatlined twice you know and I was successfully resuscitated I'm going to come to that actually
4: because you have a condition called Wolf Parkinson's white now I know what it is because I'm a bit of a medical geek your heart when it speeds up can't slow down and that can be very dangerous and it has almost killed you twice
15: Correct, yeah. So back in 1998, I used to play for Avondale United, a great club in Cork. Mm. I played with them for 10 years. And we were playing Cork City uh, reserves, or youth team, outside in Bishopstown. And we played a great game, PJ. We were two down, and I scored two goals to draw 2-2, two, two, and we were beaten 3-2 in the end. But after the game, my heart was just pounding, 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 and I got changed, and I went home, and I sat down, and I lay down, and it was still pounding. And then later that night, I said, Mom and Dad, i I got something going on here. So we waited and nothing wrong with that. We waited to go to our doctor the next day and he thought it was um, just a heavy weekend of a few pints and vigorous exercise, but I went to the Mercy Hospital. Doctor said, look, there's no way to bring this heartbeat down. It was beating at 215 beats per minute. We're gonna have to um, stop your heart and start it again. And I was, oh my God, you know, processing this information. And I remember getting the last rights. None in the elevator or the lift gave me the last rights. And then um, they stopped my heart and uh, and successfully restarted my heart. I woke up in intensive care in the Mercy. And I asked two questions to the nurse because I was a little bit dazed and confused. The first question was, How did I get here? Mm -hmm. Hence the name of the book. And the second question was, Can I have a cigarette? Because I was smoking cigarettes at the time.
4: Not the best question to be asking in a cardiac care department.
15: no definitely dazed and confused pj but and then we did some you know we went on medication and they did some exploratory tests and it happened again four weeks later in um when i was playing golf in monkstown and you know golf's not the most vigorous of exercises and it happened on the second hole and my friend brian i said brian i'm in trouble here you're gonna have to drive me into the hospital Went back into the hospital and uh, same doctors again. And they said, yeah, we're just going to have to stop this heart and start it again. And I was like, oh, my God. Like now now I kind of understood the severity of it because the first time, you know, all right. okay, well, that's what the saying this And I was like, please, I want to wake up. Hmm. And I did successfully. And then we, you know, they said they diagnosed me with Wolf Parkinson White. And I went to the Madder Hospital in uh, 1999. Yeah. And I haven't been on medication since. And uh, in fact, I push my heart as hard as I can now when I swim and it self-regulates itself. So I it was very lucky, PJ. Lots yeah. of kids, adults aren't so lucky, you know. Because it's not found. It's not found, and, 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 but having defibrillators can help too at sports grounds and schools, and things have got much better with that.
4: Yeah. You've spent your life, Andrew, in the drinks industry, and you've worked, I was looking at a list of the brands that you've worked with. Pretty much every well-known drink, you've helped to brand manage it around the world.
15: Yeah, so uh, I'm very fortunate to find my way into sales, first of all, and then secondly into the drinks industry, which is, is is great fun. albeit we need to be responsible, of course. Yeah. And I worked with Diageo in Ireland, and I worked with Heineken in Cork, and I spent five great years with Heineken in Cork. And I, you know, PJ, for me, you know, I just loved working with customers. You know, the likes of the 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 off licenses in Cork, the Super Values, the Centra's, and just being a good support with them. And then I got an opportunity to move to San Diego and I coincidentally took a job with Heineken and I've been very ambitious because if we end up back living in Ireland, I'd like to come back with some skills, uh, worldwide skills. And I've launched some major brands here in America, one brand called White Claw Hard Seltzer, which Mm. is now available in Ireland. And it's a $2 billion brand now, but of course, nobody remembers the person who laid the foundations, it's who, who built the house after that. And I, I've moved around a little bit and I still work in the alcohol business. I'm working with a great cocktail company here. And I again I just, you know, it goes back to the day in BlackRock in the kitchen in Cork. My mom used to have a home bakery. Right. Uh, she used to make meringues and pavlovas. And we would supply super values and Centres. And my father was in sales. He would leave on a Monday and get home on a Friday in the eighties and the nineties in Cork. Right. And my mom taught me so much, like the work ethic, and I'd help her wrap the meringues and put the best before stamp on them, and they were called Mary's Meringues. I said, Mom, we got to brand this Mary's Meringues and I'm nine years of age. <laughs> and then, then on a Saturday, my dad and I would go deliver the cakes to Scally's and, and down to Hurley's and Middleton, and, and we'd merchandise them on the shelf. And it wasn't, it wasn't all about sales. It was about people saying, I love those cakes. And we'd Mom, we have to make sure they're there all the time. And then we'd hit the golf course on a Saturday afternoon, Dad and I yeah and and uh and i just that work ethic stuck stuck with me you know follow through for people be a good supplier be a good support and um you know dad is 89 he, he's doing great he's going to be 90 in january wow mom is 84 and they're great company for each other in black rock and they want to live in their house and 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 me my two brothers and sisters just make sure they're looked after you know great. and they have great support coming in um and but like i when i wrote the book Mom and dad were like, oh, jeez, I didn't think you could write a book, you know, I mean, because yeah. I was the sports guy, the sales guy. And, and for anybody out there who thinks they can't write a book, of course you can. Everyone has a story. And even if you never publish it, why would you not write down certain things about your life or a, a fiction story, whatever it is? Yeah. And, and embrace it, you know, go after those dreams.
4: Yeah. They, they say there's a book in all of us. Getting it out of us is the problem.
15: Yeah, well, here's a, here's a trick. I started to write two and a half years ago, and I'd get stuck, you know, when you're typing, and I'd say, wow, is anyone actually interested in this? Yeah. But then I, I turned on the microphone on the Microsoft Word documents, and I started talking. And that was very cathartic. And then I had an editor clean it up, punctuation, ask me different questions about it. And then we published the book, and I'm really proud of it, you know? I mean, we have the Irish flag and the American flag on the front.
4: I see that. It's, it's a fabulous cover,
12: actually. It's really good.
15: Thank you. It's, it's on sale on Amazon. It's on sale in Monkstown Golf Club. The guys in the Pro Shop are helping me there. And we have a couple of bookstores in Ballina, in Mayo, of all places. But I guess while I'm here, PJ, if it's okay, could I take just two seconds to say to any independent bookstores book listening in Cork and beyond, you know, get in touch with me at AndrewFitzgeraldAuthor.com. Okay. And I'd send you six books and we can sort it out afterwards. I just want to get the book out there into people's hands. And if they sell, we can talk about an order then and figuring out all that stuff.
4: Your marketing, your marketing, you can't get it. It's, it's bred into <laughs> you. your
15: marketing. Uh, I never miss a chance. I guess.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, it has been an immense pleasure to chat with you today. Thank you very much.
15: You're very kind, PJ. And thank you to everybody in court for listening. and And I hope everybody has a great week ahead and
4: same to you in 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 California. Great talking to you. Thank you, Andrew. The book is called "How Did I Get Here?" Uh, Traveling the Road to Resilience. It's in uh, you'll get it on a, on a Kindle electronic device or any stores that he mentioned there. See if we can't get it into Waterstones for him. I'd mentioned too a few weeks ago that with holidays. Starting, I would give you things like suggestions on a book for the beach. Um, and I haven't given you one in a little while now. Can I recommend two for you again today? Uh, the first one is Liz, Liz Nugent, who has another stormer in a book called Strange Sally Diamond. Marvellous book. It's her latest book. It's been on top of the uh, fiction charts in Ireland for a, a few weeks. Fabulous book. Now, Liz is one of my favourite authors, and I met her at the Spike Island Festival last September, and she told us about Strange Sally Diamond and the whole story that was coming out behind. It's brilliant. It really is fantastic. And another one I must recommend to you is an author more than one book. It's Daniel Hurst. I'd never heard of the guy before. Discovered him on my Amazon Kindle, uh, Kindle Unlimited. I have this Kindle Unlimited thing. It's like a library. You just pay them a subscription every month and you can read as many books as you want. Um, I discovered a guy called Daniel Hurst, and I recommend a book called The Doctor's Wife. It's just one of these. You won't be able to put it down. It's a psychological thriller and there's a twist in it. It's daft and mad and crazy, but it's well-written and well-told. So there's two books for the beach and I'll give you more as we head closer to the holidays. 0818 96. 96, 96. Back to Fabiano, who can't give blood in Ireland because he's Brazilian. And there is this risk of this disease that can be carried by Brazilian people. He's never had it. His mother has never had it. He believes they should just test him for it. He wants to donate blood. And he heard during the week that there's a shortage of blood. I'm Irish. I lived in UK for two years, from 1988 to 1990. I'm not allowed to donate now due to mad cow disease. And a risk I could still be carrying it. I'm 52 I was just listening i think the rules are a bit crazy that's from tanya yeah that's 30 something years ago tanya you were living in the uk <laughs> sorry pj i wouldn't take the risk rules are there for a reason i think it's right he can't donate my son as a baby got a blood transfusion he's now 34 and he can't donate it is what it is says helen and liz said good morning fabiano or good morning pj rather it's very good of fabiano to want to donate blood here in Ireland, 97% of our population who are eligible don't seem to bother. Thank you, Liz.
3: The Cork
9: Diary
4: on Corks 96 FM.
9: The Cork Diary is a free service, so if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to Cork Diary at 96FM.ie.
4: PJ, when you're recommending books, what about Danielle Steele and Leslie Pierce? You can't forget about the women. No, I have said for years, and I'm on record as having said it. Some of the best crime and psychological thrillers in the world at the moment are being written not just by women, but by Irish women. I'm a huge fan of Patricia Gibney. I'm a huge fan of Liz Nugent. I can't wait to read read Andrea Mara's new book, which is out soon. Catherine Ryan Howard, Catherine Kerwin. We've got some wonderful, wonderful Irish female writers. And I, yeah, okay. Thank you for that. I will recommend more, but I have recommended many in the past. Liz Nugent being one of them. And uh, Strange Sally Diamond. A wonderful book. 0818 96 96 96. Are you getting married this summer? Or are you planning to get married maybe next summer or sometime in the next year? Are you looking at the plan for your wedding? Is your wedding different to what, say, your parents' wedding was, or your brother's wedding was, or your sister's wedding was? I'll be...
12: 30 years.
4: I'll be 30 years married next year. Ours was a traditional, good old-fashioned Irish wedding. We had a fantastic bash uh, 30 years ago uh, next year. Um, But the way we had our wedding then was the way everybody else had their wedding then. Many people don't do it that way now. Um, Savemyday.ie and and BestInFest, two companies, uh, operated by shell holden and uh, shell you you've been looking at the changes in weddings and how people get married and how they spend their day and the kind of things that they do and the kind of ways that they plan and in the time i got married and many more like me there was kind of a set of rules there was a kind of way that you did things and you could vary it within that but everyone did it according to a particular set of rules Nowadays, though, I think, Shell, the big thing is, um, well, the only rule is that there are no rules. Morning.
16: Exactly. That is it. And thank you so much for having me on. So what we are finding at Save My Day is that couples are zeroing in on how they can customise their own wedding to make it unique to themselves. So Mm. they want to create a personalised wedding experience to put their own stamp on it and to really make it their own wedding day.
4: Like when I got married, it was church, hotel, residence bar afterwards, then honeymoon. And everyone dressed a particular way. You went to one side of the church if you were on the groom's side, another side of the church you are on the bride's side. Those traditions, are they gone or are they on the wane?
16: There are still some traditions that ring true. But what we're finding is that people are gradually, you know, choosing more alternative options or they might have... um, Alternative offerings as part of the bigger day. So, for example, in a recent survey that we did, twenty-one percent of brides said they'll choose not to wear white. Twenty hmm. percent said that they're going to choose mismatched outfits for their bride or groom parties if they have them. Forty-three percent opt to have um, not to have a top table. Um, And the likes of, uh, say, 63% chose that they want an adult-focused wedding only. They wouldn't have kids at the wedding, uh, on the wedding day itself. So they want to create this party that's only adult-focused.
4: Go through some of those. Have you looked into why things have changed? No top table. That was always a tradition.
16: Yeah. And I I think this is one that actually we, you know, this is one that kind of, First, went out or is gradually to go, to go out. So, what we're finding is there is more of the long banquet style tables, and um, that where kind of you, you might have, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 guests along one long table. And then as the weddings get bigger, you'll have more multiple long tables. Or again, they might choose to have kind of a circular table with your brides and grooms, with your parents, et cetera, on it. But it's not necessarily at the top of the room where everyone is looking at you. You're not, you don't have to be on show
4: it used to be that the couple or the bride really let's be straight here was on show <laughs> for the whole day he just happened to be the poor devil she got married to it was all about her do you know but since venues are able to do ceremonies now the church uh-huh. is certainly something it, it, how many people are just not doing church now
16: So, again, when we surveyed over 600 couples, which is a substantial amount, we found that 80% of couples want to have their ceremony in the same venue as their reception. So, Multiple reasons, so that could also be because of logistics. It's easy, so it's like, let's invite all our guests. They don't have to worry about, um, you know, parking the car here, you know, dropping the bags in somewhere. They can get set up, they can have a drink in their hand if they want, and they can enjoy the day, and they don't have to worry from going from pillar to post. Um, But also probably a societal thing, maybe people are not as religious or moving away from it, or maybe they don't want to necessarily have that as part of their wedding day itself. Mm. So it is open to all all their guests. So what we um found in our surveys that sixty seven percent said they will tie the knot in a civil or secular ceremony and it was twenty percent would choose a religious ceremony.
4: Mm-hmm smaller weddings were forced upon people because of COVID. But, but I think you've found now that the small wedding is becoming very popular, even with COVID in the rear view mirror.
16: A hundred percent. One of the positives to come from COVID was, I think, the ability for couples to go, I can have a smaller wedding if mm. I want. I don't necessarily need to invite all of my parents' friends or that second cousin I haven't seen since I was four.
4: Or the person who once changed your nappy when you were a baby. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and their seven children.
16: And their seven children because also what this allows for is if you don't feel like you have to invite these people that you might not have seen in a long time. It allows you to relax more in the day. It allows you to add your stamp to it, you know, to be more yourself, to not having to worry about, to go around, you know, and say hi and, you know, work the room to people and to create a more casual, relaxed atmosphere that you want to create. Mm. And also, smaller weddings it means there's more options as well for venues the likes of restaurants and the likes of kind of festival style weddings as well and maybe you want to go glamping it it kind of opens a possibility to Mm. your venue wedding venue
4: i noticed that they're becoming popular festival style weddings what is that is it a kind of, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm having a wedding and it looks like an electric picnic or something like
16: that? You know what, you hit the nail on the head. That's <laughs> that's no. exactly what it is. So what we're finding, obviously, you know, with high festival high season up- upon us and a summer of amazing events for everyone to look forward to, what we decided to do at Save My Day is where we decided to si- sh- shine a spotlight on kind of festival feel wedding venues, which have become very popular. So that might be that you want a marquee style wedding reminiscent of a music festival or you might want a countryside outdoor venue to host a kind of mini greenfield kind of wedding ceremony and reception um or you might want the camping experience so an alternative to hotel accommodation you might want boutique teepees and yurts and to create that truly <laughs> unique experience
4: i hope the weather holds for you
16: they would be mainly popular in summer <laughs> and particularly this weekend if anyone is getting married you are absolutely blessed with the, blessed with the amazing wedding mm-hmm. and particularly for festival style weddings
4: you did a survey as well of popular venues and West Cork does really well
16: it does uh, particularly we've two Clonacilty based um, wedding venues um, that really shone through and actually both fit under the festival themed wedding venues as well Um, so the first one that I can touch on is the family run Fernhill House Um, I think everyone will be well aware um, of that amazing uh, wedding venue
4: I know it well if I played if I played there as a DJ once I played there 40 times as a DJ at weddings a fabulous venue (laughs)
16: And uh, amazing that it is family run by the O'Neill family for not only one generation, but for four generations. So, um, you know, they their their reputation precedes them. Um, so they would cater for medium to larger size weddings, so from 100 to 300 guests. Um, and at our recent awards, they won Ireland's best country house wedding venue. So they are a phenomenal um, and well-respected wedding mm. venue. And in terms of the festival vibe, um, you can create a summer outdoor and luxurious festivals, festival-style celebration in their wedding gardens. So they have outdoor yeah. wedding gardens for summer uh, weddings, but they also have a gorgeous garden marquee as well for that festival vibe.
4: That's it. There's a farm as well in West Cork for weddings on a farm.
16: There is, and that is Camus Farm, and they also have um, their amazing field kitchen, Camus Farm Field Kitchen. So they would cater for intimate to medium-sized, so about from from only three guests, if you literally want a tiny wedding, right up to 100 guests, mm. and they are set on 30 acres of West Cork hills. Wow. Beautiful views over Clonakilty Bay, and they would have more of a kind of relaxed festival vibe celebration. And mm. um, they also have. Of a covered barn with stage, so for true gig goers, music lovers, and for festival fans, it's an it's a, it's a ideal spot as well.
4: In, in the days before same sex weddings, she was the center of attention, and all the plans were around her. Does he and he never got a look in, he just turned up with his shoes polished. Is that changing?
16: He, they, everyone gets a look in now, and that's the beauty of it yeah. because it is creating your own day based on your relationship. So it could be that one of you is, you know, really into rock music and you want to, you know, have your wedding at a live music venue, which you can do. Yeah. But then the the other one of you is a big foodie. So you might want to go to a restaurant after and have a, an amazing meal that ha- has, um you know, locally sourced sustainable food. So it is about bringing both sides of your interest in to create your amazing wedding day.
4: I must ring herself and say, can we get married again?
16: <laughs> yeah, well, I better get an invite. You know, I really <laughs> want to be there first.
4: Shell, <laughs> a pleasure talking to you.
16: Thanks so much for having me on,
4: Shell Golden, um from, um, from SaveMyDay.ie. The whole wedding thing has changed big time. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Something happening to if you have a need of petrol or diesel in the car. Uh, go out and get some today. Now, I mean, before it goes up at midnight. It'll go up at six six cents a litre. The petrol goes up and the diesel by five cents. This is the government bringing back the excise duty that they took away. Do you remember when the petrol went to ridiculous levels when the war broke out in Ukraine? And at one stage we were here looking at 2.7 and 2.8 and 2.10 on the pumps, and then the government announced they were going to take twenty cents off the excise duty. And we all said, "Well, that's grand. Now we get the benefit of it because it's well, petrol's grand and handy again price wise. Now huh, they have to get it back. They have to get it back. They have to get it back. So from midnight tonight, your petrol goes up five cents. Uh, petrol goes up six cents, and diesel by five cents from midnight. So. Okay. Get it into the car today, before midnight tonight. And there's more in October, I think. It's all, the whole 20 cents will be back anyway, before the end of the year. Thanks, Eamon. Hmm. for nothing. On Philip Schofield, PJ. Philip Schofield was employed by a media organisation to do a job. Let him get on with what he was employed to do. May I say he can turn his hand to anything and turn it into a big success? says John and he did that John for many years but it would appear at least there were some rather murky carryings on behind the scenes that's what we're looking into
3: Join the conversation Email opinion at 96fm.ie
4: This is the Opinion mine with PJ Coogan 96FM as we are recommending things philip says i just want to ask if you could tell the people of cork about a wonderful piece of theatre that's at the cat club at the moment called oh brother and i enjoyed every second of it thanks thanks philip and on books had someone saying recommend more women please i mean, you clearly don't listen to me much about books because i'm always recommending women but uh, another female writer Uh, whose two books you should have in your suitcase going on holidays the books are called The Invisible and When Nobody Was Watching I speak of Cove writer Michelle Dunn two fantastic books about uh, ex-army ex-soldier Lindsay Ryan two fine, fine books again written uh, by a Cork woman and then you get an opportunity to review, read or pre-read draft read. It comes out in September. A book with a very intriguing title. you ready? It's called A Portrait of the Piss Artist as a Young Man. It's not that very often you get to use words like that on air without getting sanctioned by the office downstairs, but A Portrait of the Piss Artist as a Young Man is written about and by uh, Tig Hickey. Morning, Tig.
17: Hi PJ, how's it going? That was Good. cool,
4: actually, man. Hearing you say that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been, I've been, I've been popping through the draft of it, and I know it's out till September, but it's, it, it, it's a, it's a fine read, and I look forward to it coming out in in actual finished product. But you, Thank you, you mentioned years ago, and indeed you had a show about it, Tig, your battle, your battle with the with the demon drink. You have now decided to put it down in book form. Why?
17: Yeah. And I suppose the first reason was that I was asked to like, so somebody, somebody approached me and said like, oh, that might be a good idea. Like I I was probably talking to yourself or someone else. And uh, my angle, I suppose, anytime I'm talking about alcoholism is to try and shift the focus from it being just about the substance, you know, that it's kind of like more about usually people having like mental health issues like anxiety or whatnot, and they're finding solace in the substance you know it's not so much about just drink itself it's about all the stuff that happens before during and after like you know so it's like thinking of it as a, as a mental illness in itself i suppose so then the publishers um aru and bonnie air books they they just said oh look that's a nice angle like it's weird they agreed that actually ireland kind of n- seems to know an awful lot about alcohol but not that much about alcoholism you know mm. so um so then i thought like i hadn't actually I'd, i don't think i'd ever planned to write a book to be honest but um just when they put it that way, it seemed like it was obvious to me and I suppose other people in recovery, but it's actually not that obvious to, to people in Ireland generally. So I thought, look, if I can write this, hopefully write a few funny stories, but have some sort of serious message in there, which is like, first of all, it's, an, it's a mental illness, like, and you're not just a bad or evil person because you're caught up in addiction. And I suppose more importantly, there's a root out of it. Like, yeah. you know, it's not a death sentence.
4: It is very funny, Tig, And but you, you, you almost <laughs> feel... You shouldn't be laughing at this because at the time you were doing the funniest things, you were a very sick man.
17: <laughs> yeah, but I suppose that's, um, like, I'm laughing now at you even saying that, you know, because it's all part of the kind of tapestry of, of addiction. Like, it's even at your most, the darkest moments can be can can be very funny, and hopefully that comes across in the book. Because I suppose one of the reasons I did the play years ago as well is that, like, every time you see an alcoholic on TV or in film, they're usually just, like, throwing a bottle of whiskey, like, at their wife and... It's all very grim. And of course, that's part of it. The grim, dark stuff is part of it. But most people in recovery will tell you, like, just the most epically ridiculous stories and stuff. And that's all part of it as well. You know, and I think my personal view is like when you're talking to young people who are caught up in it and like Ireland is, Ireland's addiction issues are just getting bigger and bigger. Like, it's not like we've in any way kind of addressed them at all. But you're you're better off talking to young people and being honest that, like, crazy things happen and great things happen. You have great times. In drinking as well, it's just that if you've got a tendency towards addiction, it can get out of control. And mm. you know that again, that's not a death sentence though. That like I'd love kids to, you know, young people to read it and kind of go, Do you know, when I stop drinking or, or taking drugs, actually my life probably will just start. It won't. It won't be over.
4: When you look back at your at your life and you look back at, at when you began to drink, which you were, you were only what fifteen or something, exams night. Yeah. Were you, as you look back now, Tyke? You were, you were self-medicating for something that was up that you didn't quite know what was up.
17: That's exactly right. That's exactly, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, and the big thing is not knowing, like if I had some sense of what was up with me, I probably would have been able to address it or to gone, gone to someone in the family and go, look here's how I'm feeling here. But maybe it was just like, it was kind of late, like eight, late 80s, early 90s Ireland as well, like in just like Cork and stuff. So like, I don't know, there wasn't that much talk about kind of mental health stuff. And I just felt like my head was was kind of wrong or something, you know, like it was a bit deranged, like it was very hard to put that into words when you're like six or seven playing soccer in the garden, you know. So like I just kept stuff to myself whatever. And then, but later on when I suppose when I, when I started to recover from addiction, I realized that I thought I had this completely, uniquely weird head that needed to be medicated with substances. And I was the only person like that. And it was a great blow to my ego to find out that actually I was very ordinary, you know, that, that this is exactly what most people are going through. It's just for people who are prone to addiction, it's just you know you can push it so far that unfortunately you mightn't come back. You know, and that's what's kind of scary about it. Yeah. But um. But yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. That's that, that's exactly it. And I suppose I didn't have knowledge of that at the time, and and I think I, I I suppose what I think is sad is that I feel I grew up in an age where nobody talked about mental health really, and nobody certainly talked about alcoholism. But now I think we are talking about it, but it's in more kind of a buzzword type of way, like that some of the mental health stuff, particularly around addiction, it's kind of a bit buzzwordy online, but I think really when it comes down to it, we don't care about why people become addicts and how they're going to get out of it enough in this country. And, like, and yet, for view, everyone that experience.
4: does, sorry to cut a question, and yet for every yeah. addict I've ever spoken to, or, uh, there, there is a yeah. story. Nobody suddenly Absolutely. becomes an alcoholic. There is always a story, which is why, as you say very clearly in the very opening chapters of the book, in the preface even, you say that the WHO, World Health Organisation does actually consider alcoholism to be a a mental health issue. And and that's... Maybe we, we could look more kindly on people who suffer with alcoholism if we just got that into our own thick
17: heads. I I think so. I actually think there's still kind of a punitive thing in this country. I think you know maybe it's a it's this is just my personal view you now, and I'm 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 eager not to be kind of ranting because I'm not representing any group either. You know, it's important to say that this is just my kind this of experience. Story. Everybody's like,
4: but, story is different. This is yours.
17: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but I do feel there is a bit of, still a bit of a punitive kind of outlook in Ireland, especially from from people in positions of power and stuff. Where it's it's more like kind of treating the consequences of the the problem for society. Like so, kind of like. It's a big celebration when kind of new guard stations go up in O'Connell Street and stuff. And I understand that people need to be protected and whatnot, but there isn't that same emphasis or focus on why people are acting out in addiction and why they're getting into it in the first place or whatever. So Mm. yeah, I think, yeah, I just, I'd love to see more of that in in Ireland because I think everyone thinks that we're kind of making inroads in that area, but in real terms, are we like? I don't know. Just some, sometimes it can just be a hashtag. I think, which is uh, which is that.
4: As someone who's been there, done that, and, and is wearing the t-shirt, you you have very unique views on it. I, as I said, I enjoyed the pre-read. The it, it can pre-purchase since the other day, and it's out in September. How can people pre-purchase it, Tig?
17: Oh, thanks so much buddy so it's it's on a link tree uh, forward slash Taikiki. I think is where all the links are so but but like if you're on Waterstones or Eason's it'll be available on all those and it'll be on my website as well excellent and um, t- that's just TaiKiki.com and a quick shout out to my daughter there who was born two days ago Sive, I was just about to mention <laughs> that just about to mention that you're busy
4: enough now without writing you know
17: <laughs> <laughs> well I have a, a daughter yeah another daughter called Quiva as well who's a little bit older she's a teenager so I was just telling your research there that like I'm going to take it all on my stride like I've done this before and it'll absolutely be fine I can't speak for a mother but I've got it all sorted PJ <laughs> all
4: right, listen Ty always a pleasure uh, the book is out in September you can pre-order it now wherever you order your books usually uh, my, my it's called Portrait of a Piss Artist as a Young Man and that's uh, Ty Kiki thank you Ty that's it a programme edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry I'm not here tomorrow or Friday welcome back to the great Gareth O'Callaghan for the next couple of days enjoy your bank holiday weekend enjoy the sunshine and i will talk to you on tuesday just after nine you
7: made me feel
2: the corks
4: 96 fm
2: giving for living Radio radiothon raising money for cork cancer services
3: your donations will make a massive difference
7: I'm now delighted to announce that the total raised in the 2023 Corks 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon is 429,597 euro
0: what
8: an
7: absolutely breathtaking result thank you
3: a huge thank you to everyone who supported the Corks 96FM Giving for
1: Living Radiothon Mm -hmm. You may feel
2: only on Corks 96 FM.
1: Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra.